0: everybody and welcome to another bp movie journal the show we do since the last where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these which has been a while so long that i forgot the intro yeah and uh we're just gonna jump right i'm tyler in. oh yeah i'm sorry i'm david mm-hmm. and we're gonna jump right into this is like going back to before we even did our best of the year episode because i still got some of the stuff that oh, i was wow. like catching up on uh for that episode so you know i i do all this you know i try I, and I, i'm sure you have the same experience you cram mm-hmm. to try and like see everything you missed that you think is important before the best of the year episode and when you end up seeing something that's not good you're like why did i waste my yeah time? exactly I've, so um I've been there. i was really excited to see chris morris's the day shall come his follow up to four lions stars oh, yes, Anna kendrick right. and dennis o'hare um and uh it's got some good like you know dark chris morris uh type touches to it but it's just it's not the movie that four lions was four lions if you remember made my top 10 of 2010 is that right 10 sounds right Um, or is it nine maybe in any case um it's uh, uh, basically um, it's about the FBI the the sort of Miami branch of the FBI is where it takes place and they are looking for threats to uh, America and I think the the, terrorist threats to America Mm -hmm. and I think sort of the, the satire here is basically they in order to make themselves look good they find technically radical organizations in this case it's really just like this one sort of Loner, you know, delusional, you know, oddball. Yeah. And who who has, he maybe hates America or whatever, but poses no actual threat because he doesn't have any means or anything and basically shows up and essentially provides him the means to, or, or close to the means to do something just so they can, Oh, I see. Uh, arrest him. And so it's, it's got that Chris Morris, like pitch black comedy thing at some points, you know, um, there, there's a there's a part near the end where uh, Dennis O'Hara is the head of the FBI uh, office is basically saying like, look, we don't have enough on this guy. Like, the, there's a big standoff at the end, and he's like, we don't have enough on this guy to actually we'd lose in court. So the best thing for us is if is to force him to make a move so that we have to kill him and so and so like when the SWAT team moves in he's like uh oh what does he say he was like um he's like uh all right here (laughs) oh what does he say he's like here it is the arterial hell mary the (laughs) red ink i can't remember what he like uh uh he's he's yeah he's saying some very funny things there's a lot of funny yeah like chris morris type dialogue yeah. there's a part where yeah dennis o'hara has a lot of the best lines there's a part where he, the the entire fbi like team is like congratulating him on a big win and he's going on shaking every everyone's hands and every and one of the guys is like says something about his like big swinging dick or whatever. And he's like, yes, I have a big penis right as he's shaking out of Kendrick's hand. And she's like, congratulations. (laughs) So there's, there's good moments, but it just doesn't, it just feels like a half ass thing compared
1: to to the four lions. Unfortunately. Well, and I do, I mean, obviously like the idea of a, of a government, um, like a, a government agency that is sort of incompetent, but still, uh, has tremendous power, That's very relevant, but it's also I feel like been done before, like Four Lions, like the idea of human, like we all have an idea uh, of what terrorists are and what they do, and like you know targeting civilians and all that. So telling the perspective, the point, the story from their point of view, which humanizes them and also makes them kind of wacky, uh, that is that's risky. I feel like this story is a little bit less risky.
0: Yeah, it comes I think from the same. impulse which is the idea that we think of the terrorist as the hans gruber
1: mastermind
0: mastermind and a lot of them are just really stupid or just really uneducated or, or or whatever deluded um all right. Uh, sorry, I just got some good news. Uh, hey, Everything's right. okay on my block. Wonderful. Uh, listeners don't know what that's about, but yeah, you do. That's great. Um, that's great news. And then, so yeah, I didn't really care for The Day Shall Come. And then, unfortunately, I really didn't care for a movie that I think you actually liked a little bit. Um, Dolomite Is My Name.
1: There, uh, You know what? It's interesting. I uh, You were talking about it with Scott, and you arrived at a place that I also did for a while uh while I was watching it uh but for me like it's there's a lot of great performances and a lot of sincerity and I think the performances elevate a pretty standard mediocre script honestly
0: yeah it's a it's a it's kind of a slapdash sort of like it's it feels more like a series of standalone almost I don't want to say sketches but yeah that's actually kind of a charitable way to think about it because where it succeeds best is just as a comedy. Yeah. I think the one thing I they, yeah I think I said in the same conversation off mic uh, with you and Scott was that uh, it's a shame that it's a Netflix movie because I imagine it would probably play really well with a crowd. Yeah, Because it probably. has a lot of raucous comedy in it that probably yeah. would you'd feed off it and be like, oh, this movie's no. really, really funny. Yeah. Um, at Home Alone, it's like, oh, that's funny that they're doing that or whatever, but like uh it 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 doesn't i don 't think
1: it's a i don 't think it's great at being about this guy uh, it's i and, mean it 's the same writers as Ed Wood and it really feels it uh because when it comes right down to it like i don 't totally know what motivated Ed Wood either, but I do think that it 's just handled better and I think the script is better but it's the same basic You know what is it? Uh, What does Sarah Jessica Parker say? It's like, oh, it's the same uh, uh, misfits and dope addicts, and it's like the idea of like this sort of makeshift family, all making movies that nobody takes seriously. It's like it's the template is there, but I think it felt maybe more original. Maybe it was more original with Ed Wood, and here it just feels like they're kind of painting by numbers.
0: I also think. That Tim Burton cared about the material. Craig Brewer, I don't know. This is my first Craig Brewer movie. I I never saw Hustle and Flow. I
1: never saw Black Snake Moan. Um, I think he cared very much about those. Here, I'm not sure how. It's arguable how uh, how valuable he thought the material was, Mm -hmm. and might have just kind of distanced himself from it and just let the like it really. I just see the film as like a showcase for some solid performances. And I think Eddie Murphy does a great job. So great. In fact, that I feel like I, I wish they'd gone deeper with the character. I, sorry. You're the one talking. No, about no, this, no I, I,
0: I think you, you covered it. We got a lot to get through anyway. So, uh,
1: why don't we move on to you? Okay. So David, one of one of the neat things about being a, a, a professor, sorry, adjunct instructor, <laughs> um, uh, is that, which is to say, uh, you know, For some reason, when I say when I say teacher, I I picture like elementary school or middle school. Uh, So I'll just say instructor. is that you you're given actually a fair amount of freedom as far as your curriculum and so in my uh history of american cinema class we got to the 1930s and i just and even though mr smith goes to washington was officially the film we were going to watch i thought like "Ah, i'll I'll let my students kind of get in on the action so i brought several options and let them vote um and the film it's it's actually quite funny knowing where I'm going to end up on this episode. It's odd okay. that they chose the James Whale Invisible Man. Um, oh. So I watched The Invisible Man with my class. And that's the other good thing about being like a, a film uh, teacher or instructor or whatever is that um, you get to see these films th- sort of... It, the, I've seen The Invisible Man many times, but you get to see it through a different lens. You know, people that have likely outside of Wizard of Oz have likely never seen a movie from that period. Certainly not a black and white, you know, uh, a a black and white, like early horror film. Uh, but they all really, really responded to it. And I, myself, uh, I think it's Bride of Frankenstein is pretty great, but I think it's between that or the invisible man is my favorite. Um, uh, my favorite universal horror film. It's just so expertly done it's Claude Rains is delightful, but also just the design of the invisible man is just immediately iconic, you know? Um, and just the way that he's written, the way he looks, the way he sounds, everything just comes together just right. And it's that it's got that James whale sense of humor to it. uh, so that everything just seems a little bit tongue in cheek. But then you also have Una O'Connor, uh, right. as like the innkeeper, uh, who just like is high pitched and screaming and, uh, that very campy thing that, uh, that, uh, whale really enjoyed. And it's, it's just, one could say it's kind of disposable, especially when you compare it to to the two Frankenstein movies. Um, and I guess it is, but it also is just a genuinely, good time and it it puts you in the perspective this is something that we talk, that I talked about with my students is that it 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 incorporates this element that like there are different types of villains there are the ones that we really enjoy spending time with even though we are against them and then like we we seem to one way or another we seem to really appreciate boldness as opposed to a simpering sniveling kind of thing. So like you have the Griffin character played by uh, Claude Rains and then you have his like former lab uh, assistant or partner named Kemp who is fearful and is actively working against uh, Griffin, which we are too ostensibly. Uh-huh. Uh, but because like Griffin puts his faith in Kemp who then sells him out and it's like, he's again, everyone he's selling out a crazy murderer uh Granted, maybe for his own reasons, but eventually when Griffin kills Kemp, I think the 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 film is absolutely on board with Kemp dying in like a terrible way, and it's that kind of weird. It's it it toys with that idea of perspective and sympathy and what was that? And allegiance, yeah, yeah. and uh, and that's something that I I like that that James Whale always did is he always. Forced us to to sympathize or empathize with someone that we might not otherwise, and then kind of ask us why. Um, which which and it's the thing that has always gotten me about the departed as well is that Nicholson is clearly having the time of his life, and we enjoy watching him be a very evil person. Whereas Matt Damon is officially less evil, but because he's weasely and because he's a rat, we're just like yeah, shoot that guy in the head, and just like. <laughs> And it's like what a what a weird thing. I feel like it's something worth exploring artistically at some point. Like it's like, well yeah, this guy's a, a horrendous murderer who's probably killed dozens, if not hundreds, of people. But this guy over here lied. You know, it's such a weird dynamic. But uh but that's what the invisible man this time around got me thinking about.
0: All right. Um so you said uh um I'm still getting uh, text updates um, uh, about uh, what happened. To my blog. We can take a break if but, you like. No, no, everything's everything's fine. We don't actually know anything, um, but everyone's okay. Is sure. what's important anyway. Um, did you say? Did you, your students pick this? Was it was on their radar
1: because of the I, new Invisible Man? It might out? it might have been that I'm, they not, didn't say I'm that. not sure. They okay. didn't say. Um, I brought multiple um, you know American films from the 1930s that were kind of that kind of epitomized uh, the time period. So I brought like the original Scarface, I brought uh, The Thin Man, I brought uh, It Happened One Night, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Frankenstein, and The Invisible Man. And uh, and much to my surprise, uh, The Invisible Man is the one they picked. I have to assume it's because the new one was coming out, because otherwise uh like when i mentioned scarface and i and a lot of them had seen the the 80 what is it, 81 83 i think it's East. 83 I, I could be wrong though uh I, 83 sounds right but like i mentioned that and a lot of them had seen it. i said okay well that's that was a, a reimagining of this version and people seemed interested in that uh but like not unanimously not unanimously but overwhelmingly they voted for the invisible man
0: all right um next movie I watched uh, in in, in, my, in my... And this one came sort of close to, actually, uh, this one wasn't a waste of time. Okay. Uh, Nadav Lapid's Synonyms. Okay. Um, and this is a movie that uh, I think is... Politically, I mean, socio politically, probably wrestling with things that I don't fully understand because I'm neither Israeli nor Parisian or French. But uh, it's about an, is an, uh, an Israeli man who has come to Paris. He's uh, what we'd call a francophile, but he's that like Calvin Candy. <laughs> yeah, that's not what I want to uh, <laughs> what I what I want to evoke here. He's a, he's almost. Um, I don't want to he's it's like a pathology with yeah, him and okay. this is a we don't really know fully what his life in Israel was like you know we know that he was a soldier like most uh, Israelis because they have to serve their a couple of years in the in, in the army um, and uh, but he's obsessed with France and with becoming French and not only with becoming French but with not being Uh, not being Israeli anymore. He's rejecting everything about Hmm. his old life. He refuses to speak Hebrew or, or just uh, acknowledge that, that he is Israeli. And uh, he also has nothing but the clothes on his back, but uh, is, I guess, luckily in his part, kind of taken in by this, um, a young rich couple who don't seem to care that much for each other. And so this is more like almost, seems more like a, they seem to like him, but it also kind of seems like a project for them. I was going to, I was going to ask if it's just
1: like, he's a, a a mission or a project or something like that.
0: Yeah. But, uh, it, it, his, his sort of steadfast refusal to be anything but French and the fact that his, where he actually is from and his personality is so forceful that people constantly seem to be reminding him that he's Israeli. I don't know. I, I feel like what I'm describing sounds weird, but not as weird as it is. Mm-hmm. The movie, I think stylistically the movie is pretty straightforward, but this character is in many ways, uh, I think unlike any character I've ever seen in a movie before. And uh, so you could see it as uh, a very dry satire. Mm-hmm. At, some time. At, at points it is very funny, but you also sometimes feel very bad for uh for this man but also sometimes you feel like bad for the people who are in his way because he might be psychotic right like he is accused of being a madman by the 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 rich woman at one point Hmm. um yeah it's a very difficult movie to explain especially uh a month at this point after having actually watched it um, but I'm really glad that I that I watched it. I, I had missed Nadav Lapid's last film was the Israeli film The Kindergarten Teacher, which was remade here in the U.S. by Sarah Colangelo starring Maggie Gyllenhaal. Oh, okay. Um, I bet you thought the director's name was Sarah Colangelo. But no, it's Sarah Colangelo. Uh, <laughs> I learned that at Sundance, and Angie and I talked about it on the Sundance episode. Got it. Okay, um, Yes. So, uh, uh, which I didn't like, I didn't like the kindergarten teacher, and I didn't like the Sarah Paulo movie I saw at Sundance this year. So I guess I don't like her. But now I want to watch the original kindergarten sure. teacher because uh, Nadav Lapid seems like a, a, a director of uh, distinction. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I have another one? Yes. Do then? Okay. Then this is a movie you've you've seen. Oh boy, uh, I, I watched Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story. All right, and um, I, it's, yeah, it's really fantastic. It didn't quite crack my list as you know from listening. Yeah. Um it didn't quite even make the honorable honorable mentions, partially because I think there are um no Bombach movies. You know, it's hard to uh, every year when we're making these lists of the best movie of the of the, of the year, I you know, hypothetically we're comparing all the movies of a year against one another. But I yeah. also instinctively am comparing any filmmakers movies against their old movies. And so, yeah. or their previous movies. And so, because I don't think that marriage story is top tier, Noah Baumbach for me, mm-hmm. which I would consider Francis Ha and Meyerowitz stories. And I'm a big fan of mistress America. I know it feels very slight to some people because it's, uh, the most overtly a comedy first mm-hmm. of any of his movies. um, uh, I prefer, I, Francis Haas is probably my favorite of his movies. Um, and so this didn't feel like that. It felt um, like it had a little bit less of his personality in that I feel I felt like um, the comedy didn't seem, the comedy seemed, a lot of the comedy seemed laid on top of the movie as opposed to coming from the movie. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yes, and I, w- I wanted to ask you about that because I was, uh, because there are moments that I do chuckle and they're meant to be funny, but they well, also they didn't, seem to, they didn't seem to spring organically and I started to wonder if that was on purpose. Yeah,
0: well, there, I mean, there are a couple that do. I like um, Alan Orkin trying to sort of tell that story and then Adam yeah. Driver saying, am I paying for this story? Yeah. Like, that was funny and felt real in the moment. And but Alan
1: Orkin trying to get coffee from a, a clearly okay. empty... Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's great. Yeah, yeah. he is.
0: Um, but there's other, like, I really... It's there's a running thing in the movie that annoyed me more every time, which is the idea of uh, New Yorkers constantly talking about, uh, you know, their feelings about Los Angeles are mixed. But one thing they can all agree on is like, oh, there's so much space out there. Mm -hmm. I'm saying having come from I didn't come from New York, but I lived in Chicago first. Sure. And I understand there's not I just feel like there is. I, I feel like for my entire life, and probably even before I was alive, the culture is insisting on this New York LA divide and right. and, and animosity or whatever that I don't think actually really exists. I think it probably well uh, uh, not to the Jim extent- Rohnor, uh,
1: Jim Rohner, if you're okay. listening to this, comment and let us know because we did do an episode sort of uh, about that Um, with Jim, right? Uh,
0: okay. uh, We've uh, done this is episode six hundred and seventy six. Oh no, this isn't, no, this week we'll be doing 676. Right, right, That's not even counting the movie journals, which is what this is.
1: Yeah. Um, and I do remember there was a, a Patton Oswald bit about like New York as opposed to L.A. And then he ultimately arrives at Las Vegas being the worst of the bunch. Um, but uh, I do think it's, I wouldn't say animosity, but there is, even when I lived in Chicago and like, and other places that I've lived, like there was this there was a reluctance to go to Los Angeles, but that less had less to do with the city and more to do with the sense of inevitability. Uh, oh, okay. like even, even, uh, in Seinfeld where, uh, Kramer's like, oh, it's right. LA, nobody leaves. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, so I do think there's an attitude about Los Angeles. I'm not sure if I would describe it as animosity so much as it is a reluctance to embrace it.
0: But I mean, this is the thing that like, you don't hear, you hear, about New Yorkers talking shit about Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and you hear less than you used to, but you hear about San Franciscans talking shit about sure. Los Angeles. Um, right now, we don't know any San Franciscans anymore because they're all tech billionaires. It's it's no longer for us. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, the comparison doesn't, but it doesn't work the other way. Angelinos are like, oh yeah, we love New York. We love. San it seems like every. You know why? It seems like everywhere else because we're happy here. Because. It's seventy five and breezy all the fucking time. It's great. And I feel like maybe the New Yorkers and the San Franciscans are maybe just a little bit jealous. Like San they, Francisco's they, pretty nice. They secretly know but it's you gotta walk up and down hills, drive up and down hills. Yeah, it's foggy. Down. Yeah. You know, you know, Mark Twain said What's that? Uh the coldest winter I ever spent was summer in San Francisco. Ooh. Um That guy who's pretty <laughs> clever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most of us Missourians are. Rush Limbaugh notwithstanding. <laughs> Anyway, uh so yeah, uh Mirror Story. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot that I liked about it, but uh we don't have a lot of time to go in. We've already talked about the the movie uh, in a, in a couple of ways, uh but yeah, it didn't quite crack the tier of top or crack the top tier of Noah Baumbach movies for me, and that and that kept it uh out of the running. But uh, yeah, performance is great all around. I did feel um it feels like cuz you kind of i think braced me for this that it's on that it's it's not even handed it's more from his point of view but what i wasn't prepared for is that he comes across as more the bad guy as the movie. I, I think so goes as well. On. Not like, the bad guy. That's, that's, that's reductive. But right. as the movie goes on, you you see her like he's trying to do this without lawyers and she's the first to get a lawyer. And you see like, man, why is she being like this? When yeah. and the more you learn about him and their marriage, the more you realize like, Oh, she was, she's probably right to leave. She's probably, you kind of understand why she is yeah. who she is. Um, I'm glad that I didn't know going in that Julie Haggerty was in that was in it, and Merritt Weaver both yeah, both, uh, great. both great and both uh, actresses that I love to see in their yeah. uh, delight as family members of, of Scarlett Johansson uh, yeah it's a yeah, very good movie very good cast but I uh, yeah it's a B plus sure which is
1: not bad most movies aren't B plus yeah I mean I I I worked really hard for B pluses in high school. That's not true. I didn't care if I got B pluses and I didn't work hard. Yeah. Okay. C's get degrees. <laughs> but snitches get stitches. <laughs> um okay. So next up for me is okay. A little bit of context here for my for what my list is gonna be today. Okay as much as I do enjoy our end of the year coverage, once it is done, I feel like I can breathe again and actually see movies that interest me. Oh, uh, that's sad. That's, that's the thing. Like, see, that, I, had, what's weird is I have
0: a very opposite is that because I, here's the thing that I peek behind the curtain, a thing that I do that is because I'm, I have my own pathologies that you and Scott don't do is that, I have a certain number of slots per week Mm -hmm. for press screenings. And if I get a press screening invite and I have an open slot, I take it whether I want to see it or not. And what that means is this time of year, I end up seeing a lot of shitty movies. So we'll get to some bad movies later in this. So I actually have, I'm sad when, because it's been months of watching movies that are contending for best of the year. And then we're going into these, you know, kind of the movies that, not necessarily aren't good. Sometimes there's gems in the bunch of movies that you feel like, okay, the, the studio, the distributor doesn't have as much
1: faith in these movies. That's why they're putting them out in February and March. Um, I will say though, I think that for me, it's invariably like end of the year movies are often the movies I'm most interested in, but doing what we do. And of course the Academy Awards being significantly earlier, I felt the need to, I felt uh, much more obligated to watch them. Yeah quickly and all of that and it just uh, and I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a contrarian but I have discovered over time that um, and this is going to I don't mean for this to sound uh, cool at all Uh, but like the best way to get me to resent you is to tell me what to do is to say you need to do this Okay, Um, even if I agree with you you know so if somebody said like oh you need to see the Irishman Part of me is just like, well, I was going to see it anyway. But now, yeah. if I see it, this asshole is going to think it's because he told me to. Uh, it's, oh, yeah, it's that kind of thing. Okay. You, you and I have it's, that in common at times.
0: The cool way to portray it is that it's anti-authoritarian. Mm-hmm. The maybe more accurate way is that it's kind of juvenile. Yeah, <laughs> But uh, I do have a thing where I'll be like, uh, I'll be heading out to run errands and, and I'm going to the grocery store or whatever, and my wife will be like, Oh, we need like, uh, you know, we need, uh, Swiffer wets or whatever. And i like, and I'll be like, let me show you. It's already on my list. I'm not getting it because you just told me. To. I, I have done
1: that. <laughs> uh, there are times when like, yeah, cause Jen is more organized than I am just in, in life. And so I will have my list of things to do that day <laughs> and I don't share the list with her. Even though it often impacts her, like whether it be like cleaning up the kitchen or whatever it is. Uh, and then she'll be like, hey, can you do me a favor and, and you know, uh, do the dishes and stuff? And on one hand, I could be like, yes, I can do you this favor because I'm a good husband. But it's more impressive if I knew ahead of time that it needed to be done and I was planning on doing it. And so by her mentioning like, son of a bitch, she yeah. robbed me. Yeah, of exactly.
0: The, yeah. that's why I say, yeah. I will, but not
1: because you told me to, <laughs> yeah. which is a 30 Rock show. It's and a, one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, all right. So where are Anyway. We- okay. So now, and that's the other thing is that it also means that I don't have to watch movies that have come out recently. So, usually January and February is when I watch movies I've been meaning to watch for many years. So, I watched Roger Michelle's Notting Hill for the first time. Uh, there were scenes that I knew about, but uh, I had never seen the film in its entirety. And I found it to be... So, just in my life, I've actually been talking a lot about genre and that not every genre is for every person. And that if there is something like if you have, a, if you watch a Friday, the 13th film and say like, Oh, it's so bloody. I can't, it's like, it's, it, that's a genre thing. This genre is not for you. Okay. Okay. Uh, and so, but it's like, well, I'm a movie guy. So in a way, every genre is for me. Well, I've watched a couple of romantic comedies, uh, from the last, uh, 20, 25 years at this point, And as I was watching, Notting Hill. There's a lot I really love about it. I feel I think it's a very charming film, um, but there are, you know, musical cues and there are, you know, little moments within the script uh, that in, in, instinctively made me roll my eyes, but then I thought like, no, that is the slasher movie kill. That is the action movie car chase. Like these little moments, like, it's like oh that's the most obvious song you could have possibly used for this moment and i don't have an example because i watched but, it a while ago
0: but also like i'll just tell you as someone who is a fan of romantic comedies i don't really like notting hill so maybe it is i think like, <laughs> i don't think i think notting hill is too much um i just it feels like that wish fulfillment type of, or like daydreaming like sure uh wouldn't it be cool or whatever yeah and i don't like that but there have been you know there have been plenty of good romantic comedies in the last Mm -hmm. 20 25 years you know like the the big sick and obvious child in the last few years and
1: the love and basketball and it may it might just honestly be like 80s and 90s romantic comedies that kind of have a certain they have a certain vibe to them although i am a big fan of you've got mail i really like that i never saw that um i think i've seen the shop around the corner multiple times Uh, But to me, that's like the gold standard of like 90s romantic comedies and Notting Hill. Yeah, it's I do think that it's it's that like this thing can't happen. But at the same time, I think they actually do such a good job of writing Julia Roberts. And she actually does such a great job of making her character seem genuinely angry and bitter and entitled like her being a movie star who feels like this guy is just lucky to have me. So if he does anything wrong and it's not something that's on her mind all the time, but when she's mad Mm -hmm. or when she feels like he has let her down immediately, it's like, it's like, Oh no, he's, he screwed me over and that's already happened too many times and I don't need this. Uh, and so like it, like the little, the little crises that you often find in, in romantic comedies felt somewhat, uh, genuine. Uh, and I also, when her like boyfriend is revealed, I think they cast that, perfectly. Um, And I don't know why I'm trying to like moves 21 years old at this point. It's Alec Baldwin and he's only in one scene and he does a great job of being this. He's another movie star and he's also oblivious and, entitled and all that. So there's a lot that I really liked about the movie. I laughed out loud a few times. Uh, and yeah, there are moments where it's a little bit cheesy, but I also recognize like, yeah, romance by its very nature is cheesy. I say cheesy shit when I'm feeling romantic. Uh, and when I'm like super in love with my wife. And so it's just like, it's a genre that I'm trying to embrace a little bit more. And so Notting Hill helped me do that. Like yes, there were things I rolled my eyes at, but I still really appreciated, uh, the, the film. Um,
0: I like, uh, I think I like Roger Michelle, uh, as a director. Uh, I'm, um, yeah, maybe half and half with, with him.
1: I don't yeah. know. I like, uh, he did, uh, enduring love, right? He did, which I actually never saw. And I know you like, yeah, that's a, a really
0: good one. Mother was okay. Right. Wasn't it wasn't called mother. It was Daniel Craig before he was like famous in the U S. Oh yes uh let's take a look here uh maybe it was just called mom i can't remember what it was called um that was all right but
1: then he also did changing lanes right which is something that uh, hasn't aged well for me uh i think it's aged well in a very specific honestly a very specific way um okay so let's see he did notting hill he did changing lanes he did the mother the mother okay yeah. he did enduring love he did Venus. Morning Glory, oh, okay. which I love. I didn't see Morning Glory. I uh, did like Venus, though. He did Hyde Park on Hudson, which I've heard is not very good. Didn't he like did La Weekend, which I really like. Oh, okay. um, and uh, he did My Cousin Rachel, which I actually kind of th- I thought was pretty good. So I'd say that's okay. mostly that's a pretty good batting average for me.
0: I like uh, the so Alec Baldwin as the Hollywood uh, bad partner.
1: Cause mm-hmm. did
0: you see Paris Can Wait with Diane Lane uh, a couple of years back? No. Yeah, he Alec Baldwin is her movie producer husband, who's like he's not as much of a cad or whatever. Sure. Like he's not as clearly awful as Notting Hill, but you understand why she's maybe a little. Yeah. Her, her eyes are wandering a little bit. Uh, sure. Anyway, all right, is it my turn then? Yeah.
1: Sorry. Okay, uh, so a movie. I got.
0: I got to start going faster. I'm sorry. So the frustrating thing here kay. is that now we're getting to movies that I didn't catch up with till after we did our episode. And here's one that actually would have made my okay. top 10 list, which would have pushed midnight family into honorable mentions would have pushed midsummer off the honorable get out of right? here. That's Entirely. what you say. Yeah. Um, and this is Matty Diop's Atlantics. Oh, it's okay. a, a Senegalese, uh, film. And it does, uh, there's a thing. I'm not sure if there's enough examples that come to mind that we could do a whole episode on it but there's sometimes the movies that start with making you think one person's the lead and then they're not. Mm -hmm. So this is a movie like you see a guy who's a young man, he's working construction at this, uh, massive like high rise. We don't know apartment building, office building. We don't really know, but it's this massive high rise that's being built um, that I pretty sure is CGI, but it's pretty good CGI. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, they're still working, but they haven't been paid. The, the, the construction company owes them like, uh, him and his friends like weeks, So they like, you know, are like sort of all laying down their shovels and stuff and yelling at the guy. And then the, this guy goes off and then he meets up with his girlfriend. He's trying to convince her to, to have sex with him, which he, mm-hmm. uh, uh, hasn't, hasn't done yet. And then it's pretty much, cuts to the next morning you realize oh the girlfriend is actually the lead of the movie mm. and the next day when she goes to meet her boyfriend he's disappeared in fact he and all of his friends that we saw leave the the site have disappeared and we learn it's because they sort of last last minute decided to get on a sort of a rickety boat and become refugees and try to go to hmm. uh try to get up to to europe i guess yeah. um or to I'm not, I'm not sure I can't picture where Senegal is I was exactly. thinking like
1: I can't I don't know where yeah. it's close to um, uh,
0: and no one's heard from them uh, and so this is the, the movie is a um, you know it's a it's a drama about the current you know refugee system from the mm. from the side of people left behind by refugees um, it's a very much a politically socially cultural aware movie about right now but uh i mentioned you know a cgi uh building in there there's also there's some supernatural stuff hmm. in, uh, going on that i don't want to get too much into spoiling yeah. but i've i've talked about on the podcast before and I actually ju- i think just talked about on the sundance episode about sean Durkin's the nest um that one of my favorite things in movies is movies that aren't you wouldn't describe them as horror movies, but have horror elements mm-hmm. to them. I was talking about Sean Durkin because he directed Martha Marcy May Marlene, which is a movie that comes right up to the edge of actually just being a horror movie at some points. Yeah. And maybe I think some people would just consider it a horror movie and I, I would not be opposed to that. And his new film that I saw at sun Ends the nest, uh, very similar in a lot of ways. And yeah, Atlantic's is very close to being a horror movie. It, it, it movie. It has some, you know, maybe ghosts, maybe possession stuff. I don't want to get too, wow. uh, uh, too into it, but it's all part of, uh, you know, illustrating the lives of these young women who were left behind by mm-hmm. these young men who set off on a dangerous, possibly fatal, you know, a lot of th- thousands and thousands of, of, of yeah. uh, African refugees have, have drowned, yeah. uh, trying to, uh, trying to get to Europe. Um, and, uh, Uh, so maybe that's where the ghost part comes in. I I, I don't want, there's so much of the movie that I don't want to give away, but it's, it's a very, for as big as it gets. And like I said, it has a CGI uh, high rise in the movie, but Mm. as big as it gets, it's a very, it's a very quiet, um, evenly paced movie with a terrifically performance um, by an actress whose Mm. name is right here somewhere. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, David's pointing at his head right now.
0: Yeah. Uh, Mami Benetisane. I'm not sure actually because it's been so long that I forget the character's name. Mm. So it could be someone else. But um, yeah, uh, beautiful movie. Definitely worth checking out. It's on Netflix. Okay. And uh, sad that I didn't get to include it on my on my best of. Uh, the next one I watched. The uh, so the only sort of non-mainstream uh, animated movie that got much talked about this year. I watched the French movie "I Lost My Body." Oh, okay. Which, by the way, between this and Sundance movie "The Climb," mm. you use Letterboxed, right? Yes. So I don't know if you use the diary function. You log your
1: films, but if you I go did to, recently by accident.
0: Um, oh, okay. So I use it religiously, and also I'm a pro member so i i, I can track my mm. progress over the course of the year so right now because of i lost my body in the climb one of my top watched actors so far of 2020 <laughs> is george went <laughs> um, which is
1: great good for george i've Wendt. noticed you're a fan of george went might we suggest uh, outside providence what is it is it outside is he, Providence? No, he is
0: in that yeah that's a good movie
1: it's not a bad movie, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, that's Sean Hatosi. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a joke I always think of when he's, like, trying to impress his girlfriend, Amy Smart, right? I, I've girlfriend. not seen it in
1: quite a while. He's I don't trying remember. to
0: impress his girlfriend's, like, family, and he's like, oh, yeah, I was thinking I want to move maybe down to uh, Arizona because I've always liked the ocean. And And later, like, when someone's showing him a map it's just a map of the U S Yeah, like it doesn't have the other. So to him, Arizona is, oh, that's funny. So he's like, he's like, well, what's this? And his friends like, that's Mexico. And he goes, still, what was the Alamo for? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that's it. I probably is a good movie. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I lost my body is an okay movie that then becomes, I think a bad movie by the end. Oh, okay. Uh, but also it, it's at its best when it's kind of horror ish because yeah. the premise is
1: that. And visually, it looked quite quite interesting. You didn't watch it, though. I didn't watch it, no.
0: So the main character um, voiced, I think, because I watched the English language one. Sure. Um, so in the English language, I, I think he's voiced. Oh, only Box only has the French voices. I think it's Dev Patel. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, he loses his hand. Mm hmm. At the beginning, but it's really it's sort of an in media res, uh, in the day media res type thing, okay. uh, and so then it has the movie has two storylines, which is it flashes back to this guy's life over the past few months up to him losing his hand in this accident, mm-hmm. and the other story is the guy's hand trying to get across Paris to get back to him, and that stuff is actually really cool. I'm sure it's like because yeah. it's gross, it's you know it's uh, it's creepy. Um, there's some really cool uh sort of hand point of view shots if that makes (laughs) sense, you know. Uh that stuff is is really cool. But the storyline leading up to it starts out cool. It's about, you know, it's a it's about a sad boy, a sad young man. It's a (laughs) sad boy movie. Sad boy. Um, Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, But then but, you know, it starts a little it starts more interesting with him sort of like uh um hating his job and all, but then he develops a crush on a girl and basically like rearranges his life to be closer to this girl, which is sweet or is it stalking? And then it becomes like, haven't we been through this with so many of these movies before where it's like, this is creepy,
1: you know? Um, I mean, I guess like, I'm sure there's a fine line between romantic and creepy. Uh, And I'm, I'm, I'm I'm often, but in a movie like this where they've established a horror element, I feel like it's, it's going to seem more creepy than
0: sweet. I'm going to tell you now, you Tyler, you listeners, you screenwriters, if you're, if you're so obsessed with a woman that you rearrange your life to be closer to her and
1: she's never even seen your face. Mm. Yeah, that's creepy. And that's just, and that's such movie stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The kind of thing that's like, okay, we all agree this is this is sweet because we've seen it in a bunch of movies right. and probably never in life, at least not in a way that ends well. All right, uh, you're up next. All right, next for me is uh, I wanted to get out of the house one day and there was nothing planned at a certain time, except, of course, for Kathy Yan's Birds of Prey. Okay. Uh, a film that I did not care for Oh. despite... Some pretty solid visuals and some good uh, choreography, and a lot of really fun performances. Um, always nice to see Rosie Perez. I
0: agree. Uh, you should watch the TBS, formerly TBS, soon to be
1: HBO Max series Search Party. Oh, she's I didn't know on she was, the okay. second season. I think. Okay. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is in it, and she is delightful. Oh, she's also one of the voices in "I Lost My Body." i'm it's it's weird like because Wait, I, no she's
0: not oh it's Aaliyah shawcat you you understand
1: <laughs> <laughs> when talking to you yes uh because Wait, what does that mean because i know that you're like there are certain actresses that you're a fan of and you became a fan of them at a certain time yeah. so i could see them kind of blending together um yeah. where's fame tracker when you need it yeah. uh so uh And then, and, and Ewan McGregor and uh, Chris Messina, like everyone does a fine job, though admittedly, I do feel like both in the writing and in the performance, I feel like they're pushing Harley so hard on us and I think they overdo it. And this is a film that is already overdoing it in a way that I like, uh, but I feel like they're just, they're just trying so hard to make her a badass. And part of me like, you don't have to try that hard, actually. Uh, you'll be fine. Um, and also, and this is a thing that, like, you know I don't, like, and I'm, I'm, I'm really reluctant to say this, but, like, when a movie has a message, uh, immediately, I wouldn't say my guard is up, But my, I'm a bit more sensitive when it's just like, okay, I see what you're doing here. Mm -hmm. Now let's see how hard you're going to do it. Um, Sometimes they do great, and other times uh, they they push it really hard, and in a way that that feels wrong to me. In the same way that, like, when I saw Richard Jewell, uh, granted, I recognize there are people who have a hard time with the way they portray the journalist character. Just as far as journalists, and I was like, sure, there's that, but also I just think the character's two dimensional, and okay, you make her look bad so that the other characters look good, and I hate to say it, but like the birds of prey, they are as far as I can tell flawless, like all of them. That's not interesting. It is not interesting. Yeah. And there are moments that are quirky, and there are moments when they make mistakes, but the mistakes they make are endearing. They're like sweet mistakes, Um, especially Harley. Uh, as opposed to, and again, I don't begrudge like the nature of the movie and the nature of Gotham city, like ugh. every single man, whether it be the main character, the main villain or someone who's in one scene, every single man runs, uh, think of a, a spectrum of negativity. <laughs> they run that whole spectrum and that doesn't bother me. Yeah, but I, I have no problem with that.
0: I have no problem with that. Well, of
1: course you don't. Uh, my <laughs> but I mean, pro- that's, a, that's a point of view,
0: and I would say that's, it, it depends on, is it,
1: is that coming from a well-realized point of view, or is it just a shorthand? I think it's a shorthand. Here's the thing, if they had made our main characters more inherently flawed, I'd be fine with it, because then it's just like, Gotham City is full of very broken people and predatory, or just bumbling male villains you know Uh, and these women are getting have been hurt so much by Gotham City the male run Gotham City and finally they're gonna like stand up for themselves and that's the core of it and I'm and there's nothing wrong with that at all especially I'm I'm on board so far (laughs) but that's the thing is I just think that they make the characters so they make the characters so like Teflon uh, that that's the thing is like it doesn't bother me at all. I, I like movies where everybody's terrible. Um, but when you make it, this idea, it's just like, oh, we're making a feminist film by making the women perfect and the men terrible. I'm like, that's, you know, I don't, I don't like that shit when Christian movies do it with uh, non-Christians. And I don't sure, like yeah. it here either. Like, it just seems narratively less interesting to me. That makes sense. Um, and, and I realize that some people are like, Tyler, you're a conservative. You were just against uh, feminist films. Like, not at all. Uh, you know, I, I think genu- we'll get to one probably later, I think, uh, that I absolutely adore. It's more just, it's not the message. It's never the message. I mean, some might, I might be more in favor of than others. But at the same time, like, it's always how the message is, is put out there. And I feel like they are undercutting themselves artistically so that they can deliver a message in a pretty black and white ham-fisted way which is not interesting to me
0: alright um, next up for me I watched a movie that I uh, uh, I'm, I think I'm gonna say no thank you okay um, it's uh, Trey Edward Schultz's Waves Waves okay
1: yes and um, there are people that have said I should see it
0: it's uh, I don't know I I'm glad that I went in not knowing anything about it including mm-hmm. until I like looked at the screener, uh, the actual disc of the screener, including not knowing how long it is. (laughs) It's like two hours and 20 minutes long. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know what you know about the story. Very little. Yeah. And I don't even, I don't know in that case then what to even say, but, uh, yeah, I didn't know anything about the story and, um, I, 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 I maybe I was a little harsh saying no things. There's a lot of good things in sure. the movie. Uh, it's, you know, so often we talk about, uh, it's, it's a, it's, a, it's a, like a Hollywood cliche to talk about a movie having third act problems. Sure. I think this movie has second act problems hmm. because the third act is in a way that I really liked such a departure. It's like, I, okay, this is a bit of a spoiler, I guess, That's fine. but I talked about with, Atlantic's like uh, oh we think the lead character is this person for the prologue and then it becomes someone else basically the third act of waves has a different lead character than the first two acts Um, it's a it's a really I think it's a difficult thing to pull off I think that transition actually is pulled off Mm -hmm. pretty well it once it gets there it's the getting there that feels uh, manufactured so you've got uh, Kevin Harrison jr an actor that I like uh, even though I didn't like either of his movies last year now loose and, oh. and this, um, but I liked him, you know, he was in, uh, uh, well, he was in Trailer Schultz's last movie. Mm-hmm. It comes at night. Um, right. he's in moonlight, right? He's, uh, uh, let's see if I'm right about that.
1: oh shoot I'm sorry I should be vamping while you were (laughs) while you were uh, looking stuff up I apologize
0: uh, what am I thinking
1: of that he was in from a few years ago yeah sadly I don't know because I don't think I've seen that's gonna bug me all right anyway um... I'll look it up while you're talking Kelvin Harrison Jr comes at night, monsters and men.
0: Oh, yes, that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Monsters and
1: men is exactly what I'm thinking of. Okay. Yes. Um yeah, I haven't seen I don't think I've seen looking at his filmography. Or I don't think I've seen anything that he was in. He was also in Mudbound, which I didn't see. Uh
0: yeah, is he? I don't I guess he is, but I don't remember him that. Yeah. No. Um Okay, yes. Monsters and men is the movie I'm thinking of. Um and uh, now where was I? Okay, so uh, he's kind of a, in some ways a similar character to Luce in that he's a uh, upper middle class suburban overachieving high school student. Mm-hmm. Um, he, Luce was a speech and debate type of guy. He, this guy's a, a wrestler, but um, basically his the the opening the, op- the the first act really has a lot of energy. Uh, my dog hated it. My dog does not like. <laughs> I she's a rescue dog. I don't really know mm-hmm. what she went through, but loud noises, especially bassy noises, interesting, really freak her out. And so the thing about it being the bay, so the uh, it's Trent Reznor, Attica, Atticus Ross did mm. the score, like every third movie, yeah. um, and uh, it's a really good score. But because it's so bassy, even like. Sh- even when i tried to turn it down my dog was like either like cuddling up to me in terror or oh going and like hiding in the bathroom like i felt so bad like trying to watch this movie um and then my, you
1: didn't even like it
0: yeah once my wife was home then darla could go hang yeah. out with my wife and then she'd feel fine because oh. she likes my wife more than she likes me which is so do i i don't um, i don't blame <laughs> her. No. Um, Anyway, so uh, the, the yeah the setup of this guy's this young man's uh, world and the pressures from his father, played better than K. Brown, uh, Saint Louis's own story, the K. Brown. Um, uh, <laughs> it, it are it's it's I really like the stuff. I think the, the 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 opening scenes. I think it might turn some people off in that like the 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 camera is very arch, very sort of like swooping around and pushing in. And it's like, but I think it's trying to get at this guy's like life where he's constantly moving because he's such a success to everyone else. And because he doesn't feel like success at home because his father is putting so much pressure on him. Mm -hmm. But then once it, once he starts to have his breakdown, I, it's just started to feel like, after school special type of shit, sure. Um, and uh, it's a it, it, it's it's a bummer, um, but um, the third act is good. It's just I don't think it's really worth worth the journey to get there, especially for a movie that's so long. Oh. Um, uh, but uh, Lucas Hedges has a small role that actually becomes more important as it goes hmm. on, and I always like seeing him. Yeah, um, I feel like I went. Because I went a year because I saw Honey Boy back in January of mm-hmm. last year. And then didn't watch this till January. I went a year without seeing Lucas Hedges in anything. And it was kind of a like, oh yeah, yeah. he was and like, you were starting to feel it. You were starting it, to feel it, life without Lucas But I was Lucas like, Hedges. there was a year and a half, or there were a couple of years there where he was in everything. Yeah. And then I went a year without seeing him in anything. And I was like, oh yeah, he's really good. Yeah. Um, anyway, but uh, Taylor Russell plays the, the the sister and she's also really good. Taylor Russell is the star of our favorite movie of 2019, Escape Room. Yeah, hey, hey, all um, right. Yeah, and she's she's terrific
1: as the younger sister. She's got a, a good, good cast. Um, but uh, i like the idea of somebody starting listening to the podcast right now and they're like was escape room really both of their favorite movies yeah, of 2019 yeah. um, now i will i will ask this about waves um, being who i am there are people who often will say like oh hey the the main character or the family in this movie are like practicing christians you should see it and part of me just like well now I feel like I'm a little one note but at the same but, but is that true I also, of Waves? apparently oh okay uh, that's what people said I'm trying to remember um, but yeah and, uh, and but in in invariably I'm just like alright I'm gonna watch this I'm gonna see but what, I do that this, too I think yeah.
0: when there is a when there is someone who's portrayed as a Christian and yeah. it's not, especially when it's not like a good or bad thing, sure. I'm always
1: like, I wonder what Tyler would make of that. See, and that's the thing. Yeah. I wonder what he would make of it as opposed to you'd like it oh, yeah. is, a, is a very different thing.
0: Because there's a movie, yeah, I, for, I keep forgetting that you weren't on the Sundance episode, so you didn't mm-hmm. hear me and Angie talk about uh, Minari, which will probably, hopefully end up being on a lot of people's top ten lists at mm. the I hate being that Sundance, like, this is one of the best movies of the year, and it's the second week of January yeah. or whatever, but Minari is really, really good and I think has a really interesting depiction of its characters sort of like relationships with God on a personal level Mm -hmm. and then also relationships with the church on a social level. It's a really interesting thing, but uh, unfortunately for you, uh, it does have a sizable supporting role from Will Patton, your least favorite actor of all time. He's not my but least favorite
1: actor anymore. Okay. He means well. Uh, all right, then, you know what? Re- Rebel Wilson is starting to kind of take his place. Hey, that's, that's mine. You can't yeah. take it. Oh, sorry. Um,
0: <laughs> uh, all right. And then uh, next, you know, I, being uh pretentious art house movie snob i love a movie with a long unwieldy title mm-hmm. or i hope that i love the movie sometimes i don't sure and i was uh a little bit disappointed by um um l Mija tail feathers and kathleen hepburn's the body remembers when the world broke open okay uh this is yet another netflix movie they have a lot of Netflix has a lot of interesting stuff. I know it's like bad. I know Netflix is bad in some ways, right?
1: Uh, I I think it's neutral.
0: Yeah, but um, yeah, Atlantics, this. uh, There's a lot of cool stuff, uh, newer stuff. They don't have old movies anymore. No. Uh, What do we think the oldest movie
1: is that's on Netflix? Oh, they probably have some random thing from like the 30s or 40s. They probably have like, maybe they have the Wizard of Oz on there. But like, they might have, once you get... Further than the 70s. My guess is they probably have three movies per decade. Okay. Uh,
0: but anyway, The Body and Remembers in the World Broke Open is a Canadian movie um, about two characters who are both um, First Nations, uh, meaning uh, what well, we say Native American here. Right. But in Canada, they say First Nations. Hmm. Uh, they're both uh, uh, First Nations Canadians. They don't know each other when the movie starts. One of them is, um, I guess... Middle class, um, we don't know what her job is, but seems to have a decent job. She has a nice apartment and lifestyle, but is also uh, very lonely. And the other one is a uh, lower class sort of, um, you know, what we would say, I don't really like the term unskilled labor, like unskilled laborer, because I actually think a lot of what we call unskilled labor is actually pretty difficult. (laughs) Um, Right. But I guess...
1: You know, I guess it's the idea you, requiring lab, labor type of like domestic labor. I guess it's, you can learn the skill when, when you start the job, you don't have oh, to okay. come in having known it.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but it's still, it I sounds guess, a little insulting. Yes, it does sound <laughs> yeah. insulting, but so I'm not sure what does she's a domestic worker who, um, uh, is in an abusive uh, relationship mm-hmm. and the movie. And so by happenstance, when this young, the, 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 the poor girl is um, trying to get away from her boyfriend Actually, after, he, after he's hit her a few times. She stumbles into the path of this other woman who then tries to help her, takes her home, gives her some food, tries to get her into a shelter or whatever. And the movie's sort of conceit is that we meet each of these characters individually, but from the point that they meet each other until the end of the movie is all one thing unbroken take mm-hmm. um not faked 1917 style but real victoria style right. I don't know if you saw that movie victoria with uh, leia costa um really good movie uh this one unfortunately it's better before it, i i feel like once the single take gimmick or conceit takes over it's just about that and there are there are parts where it's like and sometimes it actually finds finds in the in the moments where there's not a plot thing happening, it finds some interesting business right. for them to do that's revealing. But some of it also just feels like like we couldn't have just cut to them waiting for the taxi. We have to follow them down the two flights of stairs just to not break the, the, the take. It, 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 it gets yeah. a
1: little... Uh, w- w- uh, wearying. The more I think about it, the more I feel, as you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily a fan of long takes. They can work if they're done right, but I think most of the time they're not. And I, the more I think about it, the more I feel like if you have a plot to get to, this isn't the way to do it (laughs) because this will, because like, this this choice, this conceit does not lend itself easily to most plots. Mm-hmm. You know, like one of the reasons that a uh, touch of evil works out so well is because, you know, one thing, there's a bomb in that car. Oh, right. Yeah. As it's driving through a populated city that it's the first thing you see. And so you don't have to worry about like, you are introduced to characters very briefly and then you get to know them more later, but like it's not halfway through and it doesn't take up the last half where now it becomes about that. Like it does this to build tension and then it moves on and unfolds in a traditional way. And I just, I feel that way about children of men where these takes happen in the middle of the film. And now it feels like that's what it's about. And style can be what a movie is about. Mm but not if you're trying to use that style yeah. uh, to convey plot first and foremost. I remember liking Children of a minute at the time, but I don't know. I've changed a lot
0: uh, in the 13 years since that came out, 14, 14. Um, Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you should watch uh, *Victoria* Sebastian something. I can't remember the, not Sebastian Stan, the actor, right? Um, Sebastian something. I can't remember his name, but he directed a movie that is, uh, it's like two hours and fifty minutes long. And it mm-hmm. is all one,
1: All one single take, and it's actually really good. I've heard, yeah, I heard heard, uh, good things about it. Okay, next for me. All right, here we go. Now, if you were to look at the timeline of the movies that I've seen, you'd be like, okay, he saw these three movies, and then there was a long gap Uh between that and movie number four. the The fourth movie is Mister America. (laughs) <laughs> all right. Here's why there's that gap because you watched Mr. America having not really delved that deep into what I've started referring to as the Tim Heidecker cinematic universe, right? Like you haven't seen you've seen a little bit, right?
0: I all I've seen is Mr. America. That's it. Okay. And <laughs> most of what I know about the on cinema universe comes from the fact that Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington have on occasion called into the best show
1: as their characters oh that's wonderful so i've gotten some backstory there well now i guess i gotta listen to those because i'm, I'm about, i've uh, become a completist
0: oh now i can't remember what the movie But there was a whole argument about whether or not tim had seen there was a uh, some movie that greg turgantin was saying was one of the best films of the year and tim he was accusing tim of not having seen it and tim was saying that he did but was refusing to say anything
1: about the movie <laughs>
0: which movie was that
1: uh, i can't remember Uh, yeah, well, there are ongoing arguments. Uh, yeah, so I watched every episode of On Cinema, and then I watched (laughs) a good chunk of Decker, which is the show that the Tim character is making within the On Cinema universe. Then I watched the complete trial of Tim Heidecker, and then I got to Mr. America, and it certainly is like more effect. I, I assume it is more effective because I I haven't seen it from your perspective. Yeah. Uh, but it it pays off a lot of uh, a lot of things that are set up, and they do a pretty good job of of explaining what happened before. Um. But when you've experienced all of it, and then recently I watched their uh, the on cinema Oscar special, which now just continues it and brings in characters from Mister America. So. Oh. Oh, is his campaign manager? Of course. Oh, I love her. Yeah. She's so great. Yeah. Uh, so as far as the film itself, I mean, certainly, you know, Tim has, has allowed this character to be around for a long time. Like people have said like, Oh, he's just like, uh, he's just like Donald Trump. It's like, well, he's been able to, he's a malleable enough character to incorporate into any situation, any cultural or political situation you need him to be. Um, and so, but he's been, you know, the character of Tim Heidecker has been around since like 2012. Um, yeah. And, uh, but it is, it's in its own way being a part of this universe takes a toll emotionally uh even though i know they're playing characters the way in which these two guys talk about movies and i'm pretty sure they haven't seen the movies so of course it forces them to talk about it in a generic way where they praise a movie without ever actually saying anything about it Uh but (laughs) i know there are people online that talk in that way and i find increasingly that i have a physical reaction to that level of insipid conversation and uh so it definitely takes a toll and then the character of tim heidecker they do such a good job in the film of just showing that he is he is just the worst kind of person uh that he lacks any curiosity about himself he, he lacks introspection whatever he wants is the most important thing in the world uh and if he wants it he wants it now and mm-hmm. There and it it ends on an oddly poignant note where it is grief. It seems the film seems to be mourning the fact that people like Tim Heidecker exist. Uh, and it's just like the camera just lingers on him as he's trying to manage his image, which just makes him even more transparent. And I really liked the film, uh, but of course, I also. I saw it as like a nice capper, but it's not a capper. It's just another entry. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love it in that way. Um, you know, you saw it oh, yeah. having not seen this other stuff. Like I assume it still worked for you. Yeah.
0: It worked for me. It's, I liked because, but I tend to like Tim Heidegger stuff where yeah. it's, it's so conceptual sometimes that there's not like the joke is that it exists in some ways. Yeah. But, but then every once in a while, you really like you remember like oh yeah Tim Hardin is really funny and it's just like a joke joke like I love the um his campaign slogan is we have a rat problem yeah and he's getting local restaurants to put up signs <laughs> in their windows that says, yeah. we have a rat problem
1: <laughs> and it's also just funny that like he's running this campaign and this document and he's taking it very seriously and when the when the uh, results are announced like they don't even mention him like he's not even he doesn't even warrant mention because he's saying this very seriously, but it's nothing. He's a nothing person. Uh, and I just, yeah, I just love it so much. And I think you would enjoy, I mean, it's y- you, you, get sucked into it. I'll say that. Yeah. Like if you start watching on cinema, you won't stop. Uh, but I, and I also love the role of Greg, Greg Turkington constantly trying to like steer the guys towards the Shaggy Da, and like oh uh, yeah yeah like the character gets locked into these films that are not good That's, or, or I, I, occasionally good. I
0: remember what the movie was that uh, Greg Turkington was insisting Tim Heidecker see and Tim Heidecker saying
1: that he already seen it, which was the Tom Cruise The Mummy movie. Oh, of course <laughs> that makes sense. That works. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I really loved it, and I would recommend it and I would recommend watching it the way I did because this whole experiment this at this point eight year long experiment is a delight um, and also deeply infuriating <laughs> and it's all available to watch like, it's all on you have it, to send me a link there's to... I mean you can watch it all on uh, Adult Swim like all oh, okay. of on Cinema, Decker the their Oscar specials um, Mr. America I think I saw on Hulu but yeah okay
0: all right uh Next up for me is uh, I watched uh, a an Ealing comedy that was recently put out on on Blu-ray called Passport to Pimlico. Um, (laughs)
1: And it has. Oh, Ealing, you're so charming.
0: It has one of these. um, I think of it as like a Simpsons plot where the Mm. movie starts out being about one particular thing. Sure. And within Mm. the first act, like one thing leads to another, leads to another another, and suddenly you're in an entirely different place. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is a movie about, um, the, the, this neighborhood in London called Pimlico, Mm uh, shortly after world war two. And there, there's an unexploded bomb there that they're going to, that the, the government is going to safely detonate. Um, and so like, everyone has to like close up their shop for whatever. Um, but then some neighborhood kids basically just throw some, sh- some, sh- some shit at the bomb and it blows up. <laughs> no one's hurt, but it creates a big hole, a big crater yeah. in the middle of the town square an enterprising, uh, businessman climbs down into the crater and finds that this explosion has unearthed, uh, a long buried vault of treasure. Hmm. Including uh, some, some things that belong to a former Duke of Burgundy. Okay. And it turns out that a Duke of Burgundy in, like, I don't know, uh, 1400s, 1500s, whatever, uh, was exiled, moved to London, and as a favor, um, the king of England at the time named his estate, which is what Pimlico is now mm. in the, within the world of the movie, technically Burgundian land. And so suddenly the movie is about all of these the residents of this na- this London neighborhood basically saying we're not English anymore we're not Londoners anymore we're, we're Burgundians and so like vendors start coming in to sell their goods on the street with no tax or anything like that yeah. and like all this uh you know stuff uh, starts happening it becomes like it gets like walled off it becomes a siege it's a it's a it's a fun premise uh and it does most of the things with the premise you'd 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 want to see it's a it's uh it's it's an ealing movie it's like that is a
1: very it's, that's it's clever
0: yeah it's short it's funny uh it's ultimately pretty slight not all the Ealing movies were but this right. one uh definitely is and uh it is definitely worth checking out in this new uh
1: New uh, Restoration, which is did from see, Film Movement, I think. Did you see The Man in the White Suit? I've I never forget. seen The Man in the White Suit. It's, it's very similar to that. Okay. It's like, oh, something is, cap- is happening. It's causing an up a British uproar. Yeah. 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 Uh,
0: and then next I watched uh, a movie I'd very much been looking forward to because I'm a fan of Chilean documentarian Luis Guzman. He's uh, uh, in some ways a very, um, sorry, Patricio Guzman. Okay, (laughs) I was going to say, where's my head today? It's like the third thing I've gotten wrong today. That's all right. Patricio Guzman is is his name. Um, And uh, he made a movie called The Cordillera of Dreams. Cordillera Mm -hmm. is apparently the name for a mountain range, and in Chile it specifically refers to the Andean mountain Mm -hmm. range. Uh, Patricio Guzman tends to make movies that are about Chile, that are very much about the recent somewhat recent the tw- late 20th century politics of chile which went through like the pinochet you know rule of uh, you know autocratic rule in which people were killed and disappeared and tortured um and has come through uh and is now you know more of a a, a free country but still has all these scars did you see the movie no uh, no i didn't i i really
1: yeah, wanted I think, to I and then i just didn't like see it a,
0: um. Anyway, uh, so this is probably, I think probably the fourth uh, Patricio Guzman documentary I've seen, uh, but it's, I consider it sort of the third. Oh, so he makes these political movies, but they're also tend to be very much personal, tend to be about his life. This one more, even more so. But I I think of the Cordillera of Dreams as the third in a trilogy that started with Nostalgia for the Light, which is a beautiful movie, which uh, uses, talks about, you know, this recent Chilean past, but specifically by going out to the desert in which the desert in, in, in Chile is where, uh, astronomers from all over the world come to study the stars because it's like best positioned on the earth Mm -hmm. and in the whatever. So there's, there's people, there's scientists in the desert looking up at the stars. And then there are relatives of people who, Disappeared during the Pinochet regime who go out to the desert and try to find bones because that's where people were buried when they were killed and, mm-hmm. and, and, and removed. So it's this juxtaposition of people looking up and looking down at the desert. And so that's his desert movie. Um, the next one is The Pearl Button, which is uh, about the ocean. Mm-hmm. And this is The Cordillera of Dreams, which is about the mountains. Oh, so, that's fun. Um, the interesting thing about the mountain range, uh, uh, you know, Chile, Chile, chile is part of the south american continent but one of the people they interview talks about chile as a kind of an island because the mountain range essentially cuts it it runs along right for the most part runs along the eastern border and so the habited part inhabited part of chile is largely cut off from the rest of of south america by these these mountains so it's an interesting way of, of thinking of of it, but it's more about the age of the mountains and and how the idea that like the desert or like the sea in the last two movies they hold memories that Chile that some Chileans have tried to forget or have tried to distort as we mm. see um, in an age where you know truth has less and less meaning in our lives. This is true mm. in in Chile as well, and that you know uh, the recent past that people who are Patricia Guzman's age remember very clearly young people are told that it was something different than it was. Mm-hmm. And, and you see things starting to repeat themselves. This is also a theme in, uh, Laura Greenfield, long Greenfield's the Kingmaker about the Philippines, uh, last year. So we're seeing this sort of, um, of, of, of facts and revising of history, uh, all over the world, uh, right now. um, And that's what Cordillera of Dreams is about. It's the most personal. It has a lot of uh, um, him reflecting on his time and and the fact that he was, as a young, very young documentarian, was jailed in Chile and uh, then left and hasn't actually, even though he makes movies about Chile, he hasn't lived there since, like, Mm -hmm. the 70s. And so he has some sort of, I think he has a little bit of, not regret necessarily maybe a little bit of guilt for the people that he left behind who have continued who continued to you know uh try to make uh important you you know um art that was adversarial to the pinochet regime and while staying there um it's a it's a really interesting interesting movie um and it's full of beautiful images as all of his movies are so yeah the cordillera of dreams okay I think What's, you have another one, right? No, those, those are my two. What was the first Transport one? Passport to Pimlico. Oh, that's
1: right. That's right. Okay, so next and up. And then after this, it's just one. We're going one. Are we sure? I'm pretty sure. Okay. I could uh, be wrong. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, okay, so next up for me is uh, I was in the mood for a Hammer movie. I don't know why. Uh, so Wait, I watched. So you watched Kiss Me Deadly? Hey, that's fun. <laughs> uh, I no, I watched, I watched uh, Adam's Family. 'Cause MC Hammer did the song for it. Anyway, oh. that's all I got. Because I was just like, oh he, I, I don't think he's ever been in a movie. See, you said Adam's family, I was thinking of the new animated. Oh yeah. No. To my knowledge, he was not involved in that. Uh outside of being an executive producer. No, but who did the, there's a song? Oh, probably, yeah.
0: Um It's like Migos or someone hmm. the Adam's family song. I can't remember now.
1: Uh yeah, so I watched uh Dracula, otherwise known as Horror of Dracula, from 1958, okay. directed by Terence Fisher. It's the first uh, Christopher Lee Dracula film, and uh, I really enjoyed it. My 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 experience with Hammer movies uh, is limited. I've only seen there's probably only like my fifth uh, film, and I just really, I just like the way the films look. I like the way they feel. They are. When people have described Hammer Horror to me in the past, I've often thought, I just assume that it's somehow tongue-in-cheek, but it isn't. It's actually very sincere, but it's also heightened, uh, and that's not the same yeah. as being overly self-aware. You've probably seen, it sounds like you've seen more of them than I have, oh, okay. but yeah, that's my... Feeling. Yeah, and it's just, it's, you know, it's uh, bright red blood and and lots of it, and uh and so I was, I was interested and I've seen various versions of Dracula at this point, And I'm always interested to see, uh, as like, well, Christopher Lee is known, is best known among certain people, uh, as Dracula. He played him like eight times for, for hammer. Oh, wow. Um, or maybe, uh, maybe there are eight total Dracula movies, but I'm not sure if he's in all of them in one, there's like brides of Dracula and it's, it's the name, but he's not actually in it. It's just the women that he's like infected over time anyway. Uh, but it's all Dracula as a character is interesting to me because we all have an idea of who he is and what he's like. Um, I always think of Dracula as he has a grandiosity to him, uh, whether it be Bram Stoker's Dracula or, um, or like the, the Todd Browning Dracula or whatever it is. Like I think of him as bigger than life and so, like when I saw the the Jack Palance Dracula uh, a few years ago, I remember thinking like, ah, this this he doesn't f- seem very threatening to me, uh, and he just seems kind of small. And with this, uh, Dracula really isn't that active of a character. I mean, he's very active, but he's not on screen very much. Um, and then when he is, there are times when I when I feel like christopher lee's not really living up to my idea of dracula and then over the course of the film you come to sort of understand what they're doing with the character that he does have tremendous power over people but uh he also is uh, it sounds he's insidious uh and he's powerful, but he doesn't flaunt his power. And a lot of a lot of what he's able to do is as a function of being in, uh, invisible, like not literally invisible, but just like being hidden. He's able to operate in darkness so that you don't quite realize uh, what's going on until it's too late. And. Within that, I think they do a really good job, and I think Christopher Lee does a good job of, you know, despite that really commanding voice he has, and he has a really strong presence, he also plays Dracula as a guy who, who isn't big. He's not grandiose. He is extremely capable, but he doesn't have any big master plans. He just sees somebody, often an attractive young woman, that he wants and he just focuses in on that, and will do whatever it is he can. But he also is a, very aware of his weaknesses, and so f- as far as the character, I really I, I like what they are doing. And I plan on watching more, uh, of them. Uh, and also it's just a pleasure to watch Peter Cushing. I think the, I think the vast majority of, of people think of him solely as Grand Moff Tarkin. And then some people mm-hmm. might remember him in top secret, yep. uh, with his delightful eye. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I've seen him in a few things and a few hammer horror movies now, and he's just a, he was just such a reliable, uh, actor who's just like really committed and just brings gravitas to everything he plays van helsing in this and uh yeah i really i just really enjoyed it all around it's just like it's a good sturdy film speaking of
0: single take scenes that scene in top secret is do you remember the premise of that scene
1: that he's in oh that's that's right it's it's they shot it backwards they shot it backwards top secret's so good (laughs) it's so good yeah and then there's I'm, that, I, I mean, this one's obvious, but there's that moment where like a, a, like a German guard gets shot and he falls off uh, like the, the I want to say this is top secret. Yeah, it's top secret. Uh, he's like, this German guard is standing on like the second floor of a castle or whatever, uh-huh. and he's on the roof. And he gets shot, and when he, fa- he falls, and when he lands, he just shatters into <laughs> gl- like glass. <laughs> and, it's such a, and it's jarring. You're like, whoa, whoa, what, what's yeah. going on there? God, what a good movie. It's a great film.
0: Uh, all right, next up for me, I watched Lucino Visconti's final film, 1976's The Innocent, or Le Innocente. Mm-hmm. Um, Le Innocente. Uh, and, it, yeah, this is... It's one of those... It, it's just... It's like a, it's a melodrama. It's like a soap opera. It's rich people scandal doing bad things. Sure. Uh, and it's so much fun. It's... Um, I mean, you, it definitely, I think has some, uh, you could get into the sort of class stuff and the idea that the, you know, when the rich people, when rich people play these emotional games with one another, the mm-hmm. fallout is often felt by, sure. uh, people who can't absorb it quite so well, but that's not the main, the main part is just to see like rich people behaving like very badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it stars, uh, Giancarlo Giannini, who is oh. an actor that I, because of my age i tend to think of him as a well-seasoned gent but here yeah. he's a uh, young and dashing mm-hmm. um you know mustachioed uh no. rich you know fencing enthusiast who um very openly uh is having an affair with his wife tells his wife i'm not in love with you but uh it would be better for me and for you and for everything. If you stayed married to me and I'm going to go off and keep fucking this widow yeah. that I'm fucking,
1: um, and, uh, and it's then, more romantic when you say it in the original Italian. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, and then she sort of eventually gets sick of putting up with his shit and takes a lover of her own, which causes him to realize, Oh, maybe I do love my wife after all. And so they embark on a sort of, affair, which you've seen happen in other movies and TV shows. Like there was that movie, the lovers a couple of years ago with uh, Tracy Letts and Deborah Winger, where they I were. I never saw it, even though I like both of them a lot, but that's the premise of that movie that they're a unhappy married couple who find out they're both having affairs mm. and then rekindle their affair and sort of rekindle their love and have to keep their sexual relationship a secret from each of their respective, uh, uh what's their thoughts on, uh, pina coladas. <laughs> um, anyway, so, uh, we, yeah, uh, but this obviously predates, um, predates that, uh, and, and does so by a lot of years because it's not just from 1976. It's based on a, a much older novel. And there's also a character in the movie who, Writes It's the the man that the wife has an affair with is a popular novelist within the movie who has written a sort of steamy, second-rate, mm-hmm. trash novel. And it's the movie, I think, kind of acknowledging, like, I know we know what this is. Like, <laughs> yeah. we know we're all just having fun here. Yeah. And it is just a really fun uh, movie about people in gorgeous clothes. Yeah. It's in massive homes they all, they all have multiple homes that they're like oh yeah we haven't been to that place in in six months and they show up and they're still like a full-time staff working like what were they doing for six months <laughs> it doesn't matter they're just that rich they're just yeah. filthy rich uh and that's the backdrop for all of their uh, shenanigans and it's a uh, uh, a ton of fun it's very rich and lush and it's a. Uh, uh, I'm sure there's going to be a new Blu-ray coming out because it's a new restoration that played in yeah. uh, uh in New York and LA that's why I re- watched it and reviewed I watched the a link the restoration looks good I'm sure there's going to be a new Blu-ray no. so keep an eye out for a new Blu-ray of Linocente or The
1: Innocent <laughs> yes uh speaking of uh rich uh people doing crazy things I watched for the first time Orson Welles The Immortal Story oh I don't um, know this one it's a film that he uh, directed for French television. It's one hour long. Uh, okay. It was uh, put out uh, by Criterion. Um, I do appreciate how much they've been, how much they've committed to Orson Welles, uh, so much so that they put out this lesser-known film. And uh, it's it, boy, I mean, look, there's only one way to describe it, and it's Wellesy and tomfoolery. Um, <laughs> so. <clears throat> But in the best way, in the way that if you're a Wells fan, as I am, um, it, you you will enjoy it. It takes a minute to remember how he makes movies. Uh, and it's made in color, which you're not accustomed to outside of like F for fake and and uh, aspects of the other side of the wind. Like yeah. he's not comfortable, not comfortable, he's, he's not, I don't associate color with him. And I will say there are moments where I feel like he's directing the film as though it's black and white but it's not. Hmm. So for example, Wells is in the film. He plays a, a rich, I mean, it's, it's Mr. Arcade and it's Kane. It's all of these characters that you've seen him play before. He's a rich, uh, merchant in, um, in, uh, Macau, which I've been to. And it was, uh, I, I think they shot there. I'm not sure. They probably, sh- you know what? They probably shot in Spain. He shot everything in Spain, but anyway, I feel like I'm glad for you that you went to Macau. I feel like Macau's wasted
0: on you. Uh, probably. Yeah. You don't, well, we're you only don't there gamble. F- you don't drink. <laughs> uh, that's true. Uh, Macau is like where all the casinos are, right? That's like the yeah. Vegas of,
1: but it's also uh, some fun uh, architecture and that yeah. sort of thing. Uh, it was my idea to go there anyway. Uh, so I'd love to go to Macau. I think you, I think you would enjoy it quite a bit. And also we were only there for like a day and the people that like, it was me and Jen and our friends and none of us gamble and, yeah none of them were really going to like drink there very much. It was more just, well, we're here. Might as well take the ferry over to Macau and spend a day there. Anyway, the point is, um, so, uh, he plays this rich guy and he, he really makes the guy up. Sorry. Wells really makes himself up to look like this guy is old and maybe on his way out. And there's, there's, if you know, Wells, you know, like outside of, uh, the third man, he always had a fake nose. Always. Um, Cause he never really liked his nose. He thought it was too small and then it like pushed into his face. So he would always put on a fake nose to like make him so- to make his, his face more pronounced. Well, what's interesting is when you watch the immortal story, you well, you know, he's going to have a fake nose, but you also can tell he has a fake nose because it's not the right color, uh, for the rest of his face. Oh, okay. Um, looks like Sir Mix-a-Lot. Um, <laughs> is that, is that it? No, right?
0: you're thinking of, um, who
1: am I thinking of? Uh the Humpty. What's his name? Yeah, I thought that was Sir Mixelot. No, Sir Mixelot is the uh, That's Big Butts, right? Big Butts, yeah. Okay. The, yeah, who's uh who's Humpty Hump? Yeah, that's right. I Humpty forget Hump. who it is. Yeah, anyway. I can't the guy's name. Uh but you know who I'm talking about, and you oh, know yeah. what I mean, right? I know exactly. Yeah. Uh and so it looks like the it's it looks like the makeup that Wells put on his face he just forgot to put on the nose. So like the nose looks kind of brown and like, if it were red, it's like, okay, this is a W.C. Field situation where the character's like, you know, really drunk all the time or whatever. But uh so that actually kind of took me out of it a little bit because it's just like, oh, if this were black and white, that probably would have been hidden a little bit better, but it's not. And yet, elsewhere, Wells uses like these really beautiful and garish lights. And you're just like, oh, yeah, it's stupid of me to think that like, oh, he just doesn't know how. Color works, which then caused me to rethink the obviously fake nose. And it is a film about characters uh, trying to make a false story real. This there's a rich man who's heard a fake who, who's heard a, a story, and he thought it was real, and it's not. And so he decides he's going to pay people so that it becomes real, um, and okay. just have it uh, only to discover that like the people that he pays he he puts them in a position just assuming they'll they'll do what he wants them to do but of course they're people and they're not going to act that way simply because they're put in this situation and uh so it is a film that's sort of about artificiality and about Storytelling and real life being much more complicated than uh, these little tales that we tell ourselves. And there's also this idea of like, I'm a rich man, and I and I what I say goes. It's like, oh shoot, the uh, the people that I'm trying to manipulate aren't doing what I want. It's like, so when Orson Welles is showing someone who would seem to be either trying to direct people or trying to produce a uh, a situation. Uh he's probably commenting on the studio system and maybe even on himself. Uh and so the so even in that instance the like the artificial the obvious artificiality of the nose became something that I was cur- that I thought like well maybe he was doing that on purpose, I don't know. But um but if you like Wells it's it's got his look, it's got his feel. The performances are really solid uh and it just it was You know, you get to a point where director, you know, he, he didn't put out that many movies. And there comes a point where you're like, all right, well, I guess I've kind of seen everything. And then you're like, oh, right there. He had these weird side, not weird, but like he had these side projects and thank God for whether it be netflix or kino or whatever it is like they're gonna put these out so that you can engage with him as much as 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 is possible and uh and i really enjoyed it and i i highly recommend it especially for for wells fans all
0: right um the rapper uh with the fake nose in in digital underground is named shock g aka humpty hump
1: humpty hump okay
0: all right um next up I watched 1995's Habit speaking of vampires okay uh, as you were earlier mm-hmm. uh, directed by Larry Fessenden I
1: um, watched this for he's you can, a guy I'm curious about but I don't think I've seen anything well he's you made. should
0: uh, read my filmindependent.com uh, oh. piece uh, where I have a, col- a monthly column at filmindependent.com mm-hmm. I think I've talked about it before in which I um uh, right about the films uh, of directors who have won the someone to watch award mm-hmm. uh, comparing the one they watched or the one they won for to their most recent. Mm-hmm. And so Larry Fessenden won uh, for for Habit. And uh, yeah, talk about getting the award, right? He's become someone who has become incredibly influential, not just as a filmmaker, but just as a producer. He's become a guy who, uh, and I said this in the piece that if if you're watching like a, a low budget or independent horror movie and Larry Fessenden shows up as an actor in the movie, you know, you're watching the right movie. Yeah, like, He's
1: in your next early, yeah. uh, early on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and he's been in weirder stuff than that, like Jug Face. Uh, but anyway, Habit is a, a movie that he stars in uh he doesn't just show up Mm -hmm. uh, as he tends to do in other movies uh he actually stars in 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 this movie that he wrote and directed it's about uh a man at a very uh tumultuous time in his life where his father has just died and his girlfriend has just left him at the same about the same time and uh he's coping with this by drinking too much um that could be the habit Mm -hmm. uh or it could be the young woman he meets who he he shows up at his friend's Halloween party and there's a young woman there that despite him being a complete fucking mess seems to be seems to take to him and they start hanging out but she's mysterious she won't say where she lives she sort of just shows up they start to have this affair it's a very uh uh explicitly sexual affair there's a um uh a a lot of sort of kinky sex scenes in the movie by kinky. I mean, she likes to bite. Nice. (laughs) Which, and then he sort of, as the relationship goes on, starts to not feel as well, uh, possibly because he's constantly drunk or possibly because he convinces himself she's a vampire. Um, and so, yeah, the movie is, I guess it, it, I, I would definitely, unlike what I was saying about like Sean Darkin's movies or, or Atlantic's like this does edge. And I would just classify this as a horror movie, Okay, but it constantly has this sort of question of like, is it really, or is this just him uh, projecting? It's obviously a metaphor for uh, a lot of things, but um, yeah, f- uh, it, it feels a lot of it feels very 1995 American indie, you know, it's, uh, shot in 16 millimeters, a lot of wide angle lenses and stuff, but there's clearly, he's not just mimicking the, uh, au courant style. Mm-hmm. He's clearly a very talented filmmaker and writer. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, there's a lot of great stuff going on, um, in the movie and, uh,
1: more on Larry Fessenden in a bit. I imagine, uh, fun fact. I was writing an article recently and I, uh, organically use the term Quran, and then I realized like that's not me that's more David so I so I took it out <laughs> but that's fine I know You talk to me all the time so I know it just felt like I was just like uh, putting on airs uh, all right so uh, next for me is Dan Scanlon's onward okay uh, the Pixar film um, which comes out uh, next week on the sixth on the sixth I'm looking forward to it uh, as you should be. It is a very, very good movie. Um, occasionally, great, and it's it's a nice return to form uh, for Pixar, where it's like this isn't a sequel, uh, and it and it has like the nice blending of like introducing a world while also getting us to care about these characters, being very funny, and of course, very emotional. Uh, all of it blended together in a way that feels organic um at no point did i feel like the film was actively uh manipulating me so that i would so that i would cry and and all of that um in fact uh it does such a great job of setting me up to want something and then it doesn't give me that and instead replaces it with something more satisfying Hmm. uh which i really uh, loved i really appreciated that because i've had movies that you know there there have been movies that set you up and then they snatch it away and the thing they replace it with feels like oh come on guys like you didn't you didn't think this through like the thing you wanted me to want was would have been infinitely better uh whereas here uh i'm trying to think of examples of what you're talking about. uh and you know what and I had like I was I've been I haven't written I haven't finished the review yet but uh I have examples I think it was um uh it's like another kid's movie and now I can't even think of what it was anyway you'll see when I pu- publish my review Wait, what I'm talking about are we gonna about.
0: get into it again on uh what's the movie Zootopia or whatever
1: oh maybe it's no it's not that okay. but now that they mention it actually that kind of works um yeah let's not no it's
0: every uh, time Zootopia comes up it's years old, and you and I... Uh, yeah. And it's one of the few movies we
1: actually, like...
0: Yeah. ...actively disagree
1: about. Although I still think a lot of it is really good, is the problem. But, no, uh, with this, it's just... it's and because it's it's not also it's not like a cultural or political message it's a very uh, it's a very personal one but one that i think is still universal uh as tends to happen um but yeah it's visually gorgeous and i think the character work is very solid the relationship work is very solid um and again i really can't stress this enough it, none of it feels forced to me uh, the humor doesn 't feel forced the uh the emotional moments and sentiment doesn 't feel forced, and the character relationships don 't feel forced. everything seems to flow very organically from the premise from the characters from the world and i yeah i i really uh I really adored it, and I think you will too all right yeah i can 't wait to
0: to to watch it I like that um I guess within the world of the movie chris pratt 's character is a metalhead. Because all the images, he's got like yeah. a, a but he's denim also jacket su- with like metal yeah. patches.
1: But he's also super into D anD D. That those those things they, are t- tend to go do uh, hand okay. in hand. Yeah, I don't know enough about either one to know if they are. Uh, well, compatible. I'm not into D anD D. anyway, all right. Uh,
0: finish my to to finish where I started before I watched Larry Fessenden's "Depraved" from mm. last year, which uh, so habit is a vampire movie but told uh you know in the, the very 1995 personal mm-hmm. character based uh, terms depraved is a frankenstein story uh but told in very 2019 uh uh terms it's about uh you've got um the frankenstein type character is a probably ptsd ridden um, ptsd inflicted uh whatever um uh Middle Eastern combat medic vet mm-hmm. who has come back and through, uh, funding by uh, being funded by his high school friend who has now become a rich pharmaceutical executive played by Josh Leonard, Joshua mm-hmm. Leonard. Oh. Um, good for uh, him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like Josh. Leonard. Yeah. He, yeah. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Sorry. Anyway, um, yeah, so he's uh, been set up in this uh, lost loft in an industrial uh, area of of Queens, and been allowed to carry out his experiments on, you know, uh, bringing dead bodies back to life. Uh, he's supplied with the body parts by Joshua Leonard's character. It doesn't ask where they come from, probably <laughs> for the best. Um, and he actually uh, succeeds, and so he brings to life. a uh a frankenstein's monster uh, of sorts but uh you know a little bit more capable than uh more thoughtful than mm-hmm. the one uh um in in uh, mary shelley's story right. but uh still capable of hurting people um and uh, the movie is um I, so in both cases habit and depraved uh, fascinating is Avi, like I said, he's updating sort of classic monster tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also, he's doing two things at once. He is also making them about present day hot topic issues. Like mm-hmm. habit. You could see as being a movie about nineties sort of single New Yorkers being afraid of AIDS and sexual trends you know, mm-hmm. uh, sexually transmitted diseases. Um, and, uh, Depraved is very much taking place uh, in the shadow of the sort of opioid epi- epidemic and the um, a, the impression that pharmaceutical companies don't actually care about helping people mm-hmm. that people that lives are expendable uh, uh, to them. But that in both cases is kind of like it's there, but it's almost kind of like a faint, like a head fake. Mm-hmm. It's actually a very deep like character yeah. piece. You know, I talked about uh, habit you know, and, and, about his sort of like the character getting, you know, working through, uh, probably a depression or, or whatever. And here you've got this, this, uh, post-traumatic stress, um, uh, issue with Adam calls, uh, character. Um, uh, this one's probably less horror than habit, although it does go there, right. uh, at, at times, um, and does, uh, it has a lot of the same, um, it's it's the same sort of milieu and then it's like hip new yorkers but you know uh gentrification being what it is habit manhattan depraved Mm -hmm. queens that's sure (laughs) that's what's happened in 25 years um and uh you've got the it's the, the very the the sexual uh element and uh uh, I'm trying to figure out what else to say other than I, I want you to go read my piece at, at Film Independent mm-hmm. uh, 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 about it. But uh, depraved is probably, not, I think, not quite as successful as habit, but um, it is also not phoned in in any ways. It, it's it's very much he's making a, a personal movie. He does some interesting things with uh, the 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 monster and the idea of. Nature versus nurture and the idea like there's a there's a sort of like special effect that happens in certain in the it's not really explained, but you see this sort of this sort of visual effect happen and you kind of realize like, oh, this is the monster learning something about people learning how to be a person or how not to be a person. And, um, sometimes it's a good thing. Like, Oh, he knows how to, you know, catch a ball or whatever. And sometimes it's a bad thing. It's like, Oh, he knows how, you know, the, he knows how strippers are treated worse than other people, you know, is treated less than human or whatever. Like he's
1: learning good and bad things. And so it's a, it's a nature versus nurture allegory. Well, and it sounds like in the spirit of your article, um, though it might not be as good at, uh, as Habit, it definitely sounds like he's delivering on the promise of it, which is like taking oh, these right. established yeah, yeah. ideas and coming at them yeah. from different angles, whether it be vampire or Frankenstein or whatever it is. Well, in researching for the article, I found
0: something that Dave care, Dave car care, the, the critic oh, yeah. for Chicago reader and mm-hmm. other places, uh, wrote about Larry Fessenden, which is like, he said something I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, if John Cassavetes were given the keys to the thirties universal horror. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, library. Sounds that's great. That's kind of what's, yeah. uh, that uh, is kind of perfect.
1: Uh, I didn't look it up. I just remembered the, and it seems weird cause it's the last Pixar movie I saw the film that I was referencing, uh, that I mentioned in Toy my Story. article is Toy Story four, okay. where I feel like they're setting us up for one thing. And then the thing they give us instead, it's like, you didn't sell that well enough, at least not for me. Um, okay. So, Next up, I continued down my own rabbit hole of uh, Julia Roberts' 90s um, okay. romantic comedies. And I saw My Best Friend's Wedding. Now, this is a good movie. I didn't care for it. Really? Um, there are things I like about it. I think Rupert, Rupert Everett is uh, delightful. Um, I do think that it's... There are, there are f- nice things about it. I think Cameron Diaz, I like the choice to make her... An obviously nice person Uh and someone that like, uh, is not without her, her faults and, uh, but is still generally positive. So I, I like that. That actually subverts sort of the idea of, of a situation like this, I feel like, but, um, it's one of those things where it's just like, uh, maybe it's, maybe it has to do with the maybe it has to do with the genre and and just my uh, lack of familiarity with it. But I also thought about it from a screenwriting standpoint and like, man, like the first 15 minutes, it's just, it's a lot of telling and no showing. So it's just like, let me, it's like, did I ever tell you about my, my best friend? It's like, yes, you did. Okay. Well, I'm going to say it all again now. And meanwhile, we start with this, like the opening credits is during like this, musical sequence which is perfectly fine except that that would have been a really good opportunity to show us like maybe old footage of the two of them hanging out so we get a sense of their bond outside of her just saying we have a bond. Um, And that happens all throughout. See this is the sort of thing that happens with time though is I forget stuff that doesn't work on my. All I remember is the
0: stuff that I do like about the movie which is that I like is it PJ Hogan? Is that the Mm -hmm. director? Yeah. That I feel like he comes from like a sort of older school it, it it's it doesn't feel like a '90s movie in this way to me because it's yes it's a movie it's a '90s romantic comedy but P.J. Hogan is not interested in being ironic or postmodern he's no. like no i'm making a movie and we're gonna have fun and there's a lot yeah. of big like just like you mentioned a musical sequences more than one it's a big fun yeah movie people break into song yes it's, it's uh, a it's a it's a ton of fun and it's also a romantic comedy about
1: the villain in a romantic comedy the uh, sociopathic uh, villain yeah, and that's the I other like. thing that gets me is just like I, I get a sense of who she is but like dermot Mulrooney mulroney is kind of a not by any fault of his own but i find him kind of vapid as a character or as as the character is written he's literally whatever the script needs him to be at any given moment so it's just like he's angry with her for ruining his mer- his his wedding uh-huh. and doing some genuinely heinous horrible selfish stuff and he's angry with her right up until the moment that he's no longer required to be um and then like and it just feels like he's not, it's, it's frustrating to me when the characters, again, there's a way to make any genre feel right and feel organic, even within its own world. I'm willing to acknowledge that like people in a romantic comedy will act a little bit different than they would in a kitchen sink drama. Mm -hmm. That said, let's talk about that musical sequence, the, the midway through the midway one where they're all in a restaurant the thing is this when as I was describing it to someone, I was like, and then this happens to occur. And then this happens to occur. And the person's like, yes, but you can't treat this like, like a, like a real, a, a normal, a regular film. And I was like, I'm not treating it like a regular film. I'm treating it like itself in the same way that like in, in Lord of the Rings, if Frodo just started flying and then you said like, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, well, it's a fantasy within the world. There are still rules. And the idea that everyone at the table would know the song well enough to sing it, that there would be, thankfully, someone who... I can't tell if they're the official piano player of the restaurant or they're an employee who happens to know the song. And then the waiter, and then everyone in the restaurant knows the song. And then the yeah. waiters dance to the song. Yeah. I, I get it, but at the same it's time... It's broken
0: the bounds of the movie, but right. that's not... You seeing that as a negative thing, that's part of the fun. Like, it just seems I like. I don't know that within the movie that really happened.
1: Do you know what I mean? Right. It's, it's but a it, fun sequence on its own. I just feel like it doesn't fit with the movie that is being presented to me.
0: I think it does. I, th- I think that's P.J. Hogan's style, kind of, uh, you know, bordering on fantasy, which is what a lot of romantic
1: comedy is. Yeah. But within fantasy, like how far does the fantasy go? At what point, like we do but need some of kind sense, of anchor.
0: I, I don't know. I don't think that's true. I don't think you need some kind of an anchor, uh, in terms of verisimilitude or whatever you're talking about. I think the characters are still the characters or at least the ones that are important. Like the, sure. the ones that need to be Julia mm-hmm. Roberts in particular is like, she's still Julia Roberts. And so, uh, the, uh, a, uh, a flight of fancy to me is not uh, a mark against a movie
1: like that i i 'm fine with flights of fancy, provided I feel like if they are i said anchor I think what I mean is is a certain level of of tonal and narrative consistency and While I can see a tonal consistency there, um, from a narrative and a world standpoint i i don 't. Uh, and so it's, it's weird because on one hand I enjoy the sequence yeah. on the other. I just like, I don't know how I could, how I would fit it in better. Does the end of being there bother you? I haven't seen being there. Oh, um, hmm. but, uh, and now I'm trying to think of another example then. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Toy Story four. No, uh, I'm that's an example think of, of a movie things, yeah. in which
0: nothing unexplained happens. Until the very end. Oh, okay. Not necessarily the very end. Yeah, that's halfway through. My best friend's wedding isn't the very end. Right. But there's one scene where,
1: uh, it's like, oh, what is, was there magic or something? Like, yeah, I, I think it's okay. Like, here's the thing. If it were Anchorman and then there's that giant fight in the middle Anchorman is tonally wacky enough for me to buy anything they do. Whereas this ostensibly takes place in in merely a heightened version of the world we live in. And so I can I can live with coincidence. I can live with with behavior being even forgiven faster than one would assume cuz it you need that for the genre. So it doesn't necessarily bother me, but all these things like way too much exposition, this moment there simply because they want it to be characters acting this way simply because the script needs them to. Like, I feel like there's a way to make that all work, and I feel like this film doesn't do the work, as opposed, oddly enough, to a movie that I like and you don't, which is Notting Hill, um, where it feels like things kind of... They, they take Moments take... There are, are scenes where they take their time and let the characters experience these, whereas this feels more... I don't know. I was why I, I went and watched like the old uh, Siskel and Ebert review of it, and they talked about how refreshing it was and like how much they really liked these characters. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's I can understand why it is a fun and enjoyable movie, but I just kept there are just these various barriers, and I was trying to think like, are these genre barriers? Do I need to get past it? And it's like not really, because again, there are other '90s romantic comedies that I've seen and enjoyed, and this one, for whatever reason, just kept me from from really embracing it, despite uh, an, I think, a, an I extremely likable cast. For
0: me, it's the other way. The fact that the, just going back to the, uh, say a little prayer for you, right? Mm-hmm. That's the song they sing. That scene, which is my favorite scene, probably of the movie. Yeah. The scene is so good on its own that it, it even if it doesn't inform what I thought the movie would be, what I would think the movie was without that scene. hmm or, or it doesn't fit with it does inform the, the movie around it to me. So mm-hmm. all, everything else sort of becomes kind of less important when you've got this like scene that sort of unfastens itself from the reality of the movie. And you kind of realize like, Oh, we're just having fun here.
1: And, I get, and that's the thing is like, I have a hard time having fun with that character as well. You know, like she's a very bad person and good for her yeah. for acknowledging it at the end. But I feel like the movie lets her off the hook. Whereas to go back to a movie we were talking about earlier, like she behaves the way people do in movies and then expects to be forgiven the way people are in movies. And I was uh-huh. like, this is genuinely sociopathic behavior. Like you can't like you don't want this guy until someone else has him. And then you want him and you will ruin his actual happiness. You will lie. You will manipulate. You'll lie not just to him, but to his girlfriend, to her father. You will go in and send an email on the part of her father and then, and then do everything to try to, it's like, Oh no, like she's upset because I wasn't, I was, I was planning on deleting it. it's like, hey good for you I guess that's a mark in your favor um but it's it's the kind of thing where it's like it's a good thing that she's so damn charming and boy she is there's no question about it um but uh because otherwise it's just like this is you know this is a this is a fatal attraction level thriller uh if 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 she's not in it but anyway so it's just it's frustrating because there are a lot of good elements to it but I just feel like they didn't mix together in a way that worked for me
0: Alright, well speaking of bad people, I watched Michael Winterbottom's Greed starring Steve Coogan as a very bad person. Okay. Um, he's a uh, um, ruthlessly uh, wealthy fashion tycoon who's about to celebrate his 60th birthday at a sorry, in a multiple, multiple day long affair in which he has had a gladiatorial arena constructed and hired a lion and there's going to be performances by Fat Boy Slim and Coldplay. <laughs> and uh, and it the movie sort of takes place in the days leading up to the preparation, you know, the preparations leading up to this party. And then also in a Citizen Kane type way, you've got his biographer played by uh, David Mitchell from that Mitchell and Webb look. If oh, you ever OK. Yeah. Um, you've got him interviewing his associates and business rivals and people. And so you get all these flashbacks. So you learn wow. about the character's life and you see him as he is now. Um, there's a lot of funny stuff because you've got Steve Coogan. Um, it's written by uh, Michael Winterbottom and Sean Gray, who was a writer in the thick of it and who oh, okay. actually also co-wrote uh, The Day Shall Come, hmm. uh, which we, uh, which I mentioned earlier. Um, and so you've, you've got some really funny uh, stuff with that rhyme reminded me of the thick of it because you've got uh, Steve Coogan's character, much like Peter Capaldi's character on the thick of mm-hmm. it, uh, just laying into people, just berating them yeah. in, in vulgar ways. Uh, and that stuff's like fun and funny, but the movie is also trying to be, I feel like it wants to be a satire, mm-hmm. but it's, it also takes it too seriously. In a way, like I, it's dealing with serious things about the way that the fashion industry, uh, exploits labor and, mm-hmm. and sweatshops and unsafe working conditions and, and, uh, in, in other parts of the, of the world. And that the, this guy has literal, literal billions of dollars and has no discernible skill in life other than being able to borrow and keep basically being able to borrow billions of dollars and then, on the debt and the repayment off on mm-hmm. some shell company or whatever. like no. that's his skill he's not actually he doesn't actually have a mind for right. fashion or anything like he's not talented at any of the things other that he's just he's rich because he's good at being rich mm-hmm. he's good at becoming rich and uh and the way that he becomes rich is that you know women in sri lanka you know die of smoke inhalation in factories and make 50 cents a day or whatever. Like it's a serious issue, but the movie seems to like, it can't, it can't talk about a balance of tone. It can't find this, like on one hand being this like over the top satire with a lion and shit, you know, and then being this very serious sort of like, uh, almost like, uh, just, social issue like almost like an edwards wick type of like drama mm. about uh about injustice it can't find the middle ground and part of it is that when it comes to its allegory or it's the argument that it's making uh none of the characters are characters they're all just examples you know you've got the rich guy yeah. you've got one of his assistants is uh was adopted is it uh, was adopted by uh, a, a british a british family but her she was adopted from sri lanka and so she has ties back to the 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 sweatshops and it's just like it's all too everyone just sort of like represents
1: something and meanwhile i find myself wondering as a satire would it be more, would it have been more effective if they approached like the serious stuff with the exact same comedic tone, yeah. as if to say, like this is the world through the eyes of this man, yeah. including that's, tragedy.
0: That's why something like Four Lions works, yeah, and and yeah, greed just it just couldn't do it. It's got it's got a few uh, uh, good moments, and you've got um, some a couple of you've also got Isla Fisher, who was an actress that mm-hmm. I really like, is his ex-wife. Um, uh, Asa Butterfield, Asa. I'm not sure how you I think Asa. Is there, you've got a couple of cameos by people playing themselves. Um, the I won't. The, the largest one is Stephen Fry, oh, plays wow. himself as a guest at the party at, near the end. That sounds fun. Um, uh, yeah, I like Stephen Fry a lot. I was like, mm. oh, this is this is good. Uh, <laughs> I wish someone there like there him as a
1: version of himself sounds fun. Yeah. Or is it just? Did they not do it much with that?
0: Uh, I mean, they don't like talk about his career or oh, anything, yeah. but he is now he's not only at the party, he's been hired to be sort of the MC of the party. So he's mm-hmm. like making toasts and sort yeah. of like announces he's he's yeah, he's being very That's fun. Yeah. Anyway, uh,
1: you're up, you're up next. Okay. So, uh, Jen and I were uh, babysitting for uh, some friends of ours. So we're, we spent uh, a, an afternoon with a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. And we asked, hey, what do you want to do? And they said, let's watch a movie. So we pulled up uh, Disney Plus and uh, said, what do, we, what do you want to watch? Because they specifically said, pull up Disney Plus. Or, is that, or was it Netflix? Oh, no. They asked if we had Disney Plus, and, and we didn't. So we pulled up Netflix. Well, I and thought we you had Disney Plus. Uh, we canceled it. Um, yeah, good for you. Yeah. Well, we canceled everything. Like we were using our friends Netflix. Like we've canceled pretty much everything, every subscription service that we had, including my AMC and all that, just cause, uh, you know, adoption's very expensive and, oh, uh, right. those things add up anyway. Yeah. Uh, so we said like, what do you want to watch? And they both pretty much in unison said the secret life of pets 2," <laughs> which is what I wound up watching. Uh, did I see the first one? I did not. I didn't like the first one. Uh, I'll say this: I think I was able to follow it, with okay. uh, having not seen the first one. Um, I don't know what the first one is like. Well, uh, the first one has Louis C.K. and
0: this one doesn't.
1: Oh, I disagree. Uh, there's a, <laughs> there's a character that's clearly meant to be a negative tribute to him. Uh, that's not true. So, uh, what I what's interesting about it is that there there really isn't a central story. There are like five or six different stories following each character each pet as they're uh, sort of doing their own thing and on their little adventure and then some of the adventures end and then these characters come together and then one of the stories that we've been seeing becomes the primary story and it's structurally that's kind of interesting and it and honestly when it when they all come together at the end it winds up being like a much more conventional film okay. but up until then the idea that's like all right this is almost it sounds strange, but like there's like an Altman film if he made The Secret Life of Pets, which is we're just it's like a day in the life of all these different characters doing different things. And uh and I actually really like some of the character design and some of the some of the humor. Um some of the voice work is fun. Uh in the end it wound up just being just this facile, like, you know, enjoyable film, nothing particularly it didn't really stick with me, but it also wasn't that bad either. And so I, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, in the end, uh, who cares, but, uh, but it was fun. Um, apparently
0: they recast Louis CK with Patton Oswald.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, that's interesting. Cause he's the, like the main, like the main right? guy. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, that was what it was in the first one too. Huh. That's interesting because, uh, it's tough because, like, when you hear Patton Oswald you're like, "Hey, mm-hmm. it's Remy from Ratatouille." Uh, and also, putting us as- obviously Do putting kids aside, know that probably not. I mean, Jen and I definitely know. Like, the kids had seen Ratatouille, but I don't think they. I don't think they make, connection. Think they make the connection.
0: Because I remember um,
1: telling my, not, my, not my nephew's a teenager, but when
0: when he was a kid, I remember telling him that SpongeBob and the Ice King from Adventure hmm. Time were voiced by the same guy. Yeah. And his reaction was, "He must be rich,"
1: <laughs> <laughs> which is probably true.
0: I don't um, know. I, I feel like voice actors are probably criminally underpaid, when especially voice, on
1: television. Probably yes, but at the same time, like when you voice SpongeBob, who's a huge but character.
0: But haven't like it's always been a thing that the Simpsons like actors sure. have always like complained that they are not getting nearly as much a percentage of how profitable the Simpsons probably, is. Probably. Yeah. So uh, I'll bet Nick, I'll bet. Is it Nickelodeon or cartoon network? Whoever it has, yeah, I believe it's SpongeBob.
1: Yeah. They're, they're, they're probably, probably have, fucking, yeah. them, fucking
0: over Tom Kenny in some way. Uh, probably. Yeah.
1: Um, I remember with the uh, middle school that where I, where I teach, um, you know, it's middle school, but the kids are still like young. And then I realized like, you no, know, I guess we were all just young in middle school and I just didn't see it at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we watched uh, Alice in Wonderland the the Disney version somewhat recently and uh, afterwards i said they were talking about the Cheshire cat i said you know that's the same guy that did the voice of Winnie the Pooh and i assumed that uh, that i'll be like yeah it's obviously the same guy but mm-hmm. they're like what like they were, like it blew their minds and i'm like his voice is not that different yeah but yeah, I don't think they think in those terms. Like yeah. and also I guess when I was a kid, I was obsessed with with voice actors. So like there are yeah, you names that weirdo. I knew. <laughs> I was a weirdo. Um not <laughs> that I wasn't. But yeah. But it does make uh, me wonder actually, because like again, putting aside what Louis C.K. did, like, his he has a very distinct voice and seeing that character and imagining his voice, it's like, that's odd. That's mm-hmm. very odd. Um I think it I it I think it would make the character more distinct actually because his voice is just like because Patton Oswalt's voice is is a little bit higher and a little bit more cartoony frankly whereas like Louis C. Cage is like hey I'm a middle-aged man uh-huh. uh, <laughs> yeah. voicing this uh this dog but uh I think you'd enjoy the second one.
0: All right. Um I have a screener because I guess Universal thought they had uh some awards uh visually,
1: visually it's very strong. Mm-hmm. All
0: right. Um another recent restoration that I I guess is probably sure to come out on Blu-ray soon. Uh, I watched 1951's Pandora and the Flying Dutchman, directed okay. by Albert Lewin. And this movie is so up my alley. Mm. Uh, and it's it's kind of this, I, I looked at it, it wasn't like a failure at the time, but it was never, It's I don't know if you've have you heard of it. It's, yeah, it's, it's not like a, an enduring classic, but it's a really good movie. It stars, uh, well, Pandora. David Gardner, the Flying Dutchman, James Mason. All right. Um, and it takes place in a, on a, it's a, again, it's about rich people, like, uh, like, Lenis, Lenocente is. Um, so it's about a, about a rich people, like sort of, towns of Mr. Ripley style, just like hanging out in this like coastal town. This is yeah. all they do. They just like
1: hang out and they go out and they get drunk. I have a hard time it. picturing James Mason as anybody who has less than $10 million. Yeah.
0: Although he's not in it at the beginning ava gardner and her friends they hang out um and she's like this destructive force all the men of the town are in love with her um she uh in order to get one guy to prove that he loves her she says if you love me you'll his prize he's a race car driver who's building his own race car to try and build Mm. beat the land speed record and she says if you love me you'll push your race car off the cliff into the ocean and he does um and so she's like all right i guess i'll marry you um and then shortly after that literally like the same night uh she meets a, a mysterious man who comes into town on a, on a on a on a yacht played by by james mason and uh it turns out or at least he claims i think the movie is, it comes down firmly eventually but there's this you probably know it from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, the sort of legend, the curse of the flying mm-hmm. Dutchman that he's, he is because of something he did hundreds of years ago is cursed yeah. to sail the seas forever. He's only allowed to return to land once every seven years. I think in the Pirates of the Caribbean, it's once a decade, I think decade. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Once every seven years. And the only way his curse can be broken is if he can find someone to fall in love with him. Mm-hmm. So he's got six months in this town to To try and get six months uh, is a pretty long time to you know. but here's the thing is that he knows basically the only way to break the curse is for her to leave with him and then die with him so he knows that he can break the curse by getting her to fall in love with him yeah. but that will also mean her death uh, so he's basically like they're falling in love, but he's trying to push it away. And then, but, uh, I'm making it sound like more conventional of a conventional r- romance. This is really a fantasy type movie. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got this guy who's centuries old and you've yeah. got the, you've got curses and, and, a, a ghost crew on his, like an invisible ghost crew on his, on his yacht. Oh, that sounds fun. Um, and, uh, there's also the, the question at the heart of the movie is given, who Ava who Pandora who Ava Gardner's character is, is she really falling in love with him or is she just in internet terms, a messy bitch who lives her drama and she's, uh, you and I have a very different <laughs> internet experience, David. <laughs> um, uh, and she's willing to go along with this because it's a new bit of drama and a new mm-hmm. adventure. Um, It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful movie shot by Jack Cardiff. Mm. Beautiful to look at beautiful location, uh, photography. Uh, but it's also a love story that is not particularly romantic unless you want it to be. Um, it's, even more then, it's, a, it's more com- like a, it's complicated yeah it's more a weird dark fantasy and it feels like uh, for obvious reasons i couldn't help but think of the pirates of the caribbean movies yeah. but um there's a thing there's something i like about those movies or at least the 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 first trilogy mm. which i think of as the actual sure. uh pirates of the, the caribbean ones. yeah the oh. Verbinski ones uh w- which is so much about like you know, lore and legend and fantasy and and has with these dark undertones and and stuff like that. Um. So I really love
1: Pandora Bandora and the Flying Dutchman. All right. So David, let me tell you, uh, I'm teaching four classes this semester. I'm teaching two sections of American film history, and then I'm teaching just general film history, and then I'm teaching one called Crossing Cultures, and it is all about films made american films uh made by uh made by and maybe even for uh people of a certain demographic that is you know not usually represented uh so like we start off four weeks on like movies made by and again ostensibly for like african americans um and then we'll talk about like Latino and queer cinema and female directors and stuff like that. So it's, it's been really fun because it's, there's no textbook. So like, it's very discussion oriented. So like, of course I showed do the right thing. And then I, and rather than, have the the class talk about it. Because in a situation like that, there's usually only one or two people that actually talk. Uh, I said like, okay, split into groups of three and four and talk with each other about it. And here are the questions I want you to be thinking about and discuss. And then after about 15 minutes, we'll gather back together and we can talk about it in a larger sense. And I, I really enjoyed that. But, um, but uh, so this is the third week, uh, the first week, I showed In the Heat of the Night, which admittedly not made by an African-American director, but I liked the idea of showing sort of representation either through the movies we watch or through uh, trailers and clips and stuff like that. So anyway, so we're in the third week. So I showed Tim Story's Barbershop, Mm. um, a movie that I haven't seen in a long time, but I remember liking uh, when I saw. It was either going to be that or Friday, and I I decided to land on uh, Barbershop. Um, And... It's, and and you know talking about these movies and talking about like the progression of but how, which
0: which students are these these are these are uh, college students college yeah 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 you wouldn't show Friday to the middle school kids oh I already have Uh I mean, all, that's all three of them which it's weird to say because that's how old I was when I saw it but uh, yeah and uh, honestly like yeah, you yeah you the.
1: Like just because I know that the middle schoolers know this language and say this language, I can't play into that. It's it's unfortunately it's a weird yeah it's a weird thing. But uh, anyway, it's a weird game we'll we'll play this game of pretend. Yeah, Um, but you know what? Here's what I'll say: is that like a kid being familiar with the concepts of an R-rated movie isn't doesn't mean that they are able to process what the film is actually. Uh, But I meant more that they've probably already seen. Oh, possibly Daddy yes, orders. yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyway, I, do you
0: like Barbershop? I forget.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've seen it a, a few
0: times. Actually. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: It's so a Chicago, Chicago. Yes, I like that. Uh, and I and it, you know, and what I like about it is that even though it could have felt stagey, almost like a play, uh, when they're outside. It's, there's snow on the ground you see oh, their yeah. breath it looks cold it looks like Chicago uh, and it and it makes the barbershop itself seem so much more inviting mm. you know it feels like a place you want you do want to hang out um, and and that's the thing is one thing in talking about in in teaching this course is I tend to like the movies that I show I'll show in chronological order. And one of the things I wanted to talk about is like, you know, here's like movies that that were made like by and for African Americans in the nineties, with the exception of the occasional like romantic comedy, they almost always focused on the way they, they sort of played into the way, uh, white audiences saw black people, which was as pure victims or, uh, menace to society new oh, jack city right, okay. uh you know just like crime in a crime ridden situation and so the idea so i really wanted to show either friday or this which kind of showed that like well there's still there's still a communal in the inner city there's still like a communal thing and even though there is like crime and and uh and you know the police are involved in in barbershop it's like the tone doesn't have to be this tragic yes. uh thing you know and that's And so in watching, it's like the film still has tremendous heart. It still is dealing with a lot of the same issues that films in the nineties were, were doing. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, these are like, it's so, it's such a, it's such a like upper class white suburban attitude that like that life looks depressing to me. And thus every moment must be (laughs) depressing. Right. It's like, no, not, not at all. Like, you know that I remember when I went on like a, a mission trip to Mexico, and I saw people living in grinding poverty, but i like and we did what we could to help in the moment, but they still were able to experience joy with their families and with their mm-hmm. friends and that sort of thing and so I wanted to show Barbershop. i I knew I wanted to show a comedy that got the got my students seeing this from a uh, cinematically in a different point of view from a different tonal point of view. And I really enjoy the movie. I think the cast is great all the way through. And, uh, and yeah, there are times when maybe they kind of wear the message on, on its sleeve a little bit, but I think by that time, the characters and the cast are working so well together as an ensemble that it doesn't even bother me. Um, like these characters saying these things to each other because i believe in the bond i believe that they would say these things and so i really enjoyed it i haven't seen barbershop 2 i think i would like to at this point uh, but i was very happy yeah. i rewatched it and the students really seemed to respond to it
0: i never saw barbershop 2 and i never saw beauty shop yeah yeah
1: i would i kind of would like to see that as well
0: all right um i watched a movie uh it uh, hasn't hasn't come out yet comes out in a in a few weeks i think called charm city kings and um it's in in uh uh in a different way it starts out as a, a a different version of a uh unconventional look at life in a uh economically depressed uh, mm-hmm. uh urban black community charm city is a nickname for baltimore uh oh, okay. i, I learned that recently um separately from this a weird coincidence speaking of coincidence okay wait i have to tell you what the movie is about before we get to okay. the coincidences so uh it's about a a, a a a like a eighth grade like a middle school boy uh in baltimore whose older brother was a big star in the local like motorcycle dirt bike atv like trick scene okay uh, that's a, that's the specific thing I'm talking yeah. about, but also got involved in crime and, and was, and was killed, um, uh, at some point, um, a few years before the movie starts. Um, the weird coincidence I was going to say is that I saw this movie that's about this. The next morning I went to like an offsite work thing and another like one of our vendors in their lobby, they had the TV tuned to one of those like, other HBO's like, you know, there's like, there's like HBO has like 14 channels or whatever. And whichever one this was, was showing biker boys. Hey, it was like the next morning. And it was like a, not, not actually the same, uh, uh, subculture, but weirdly, weirdly close. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, but charm, so charm city King starts with this very interesting, uh, thing, the specificity Baltimore, the specificity of this subculture, um, of, you know, people sort of showing up and doing wheelies on the, on the, on the street and, and stuff like that. Uh, but then it becomes kind of a very, very familiar, like, um, you know, quote unquote ghetto coming of age story Mm. of the guy, you know, with the single mother who doesn't want him to, doesn't want to lose, uh, you know another son to the the life in the streets or whatever and then being sort of like taken under the wing of a former gangster played by meek mill the rapper who's actually uh, pretty good in the mm-hmm. movie um and there's the one cop who's looking out for him and it just feels like it's just this collection of cliches and the for- further the movie goes on and it's over two hours long which is a mistake um the further it i feel like the further it gets from this specific bike culture thing, um, the, the less interesting it, it becomes. And, mm-hmm. it, and it just sort of like, it, it, it just sort of hits so many familiar marks of so the kind of movies you were talking about before the, 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 the nineties, like quote, unquote like hood movies, right. you know, uh, there's just, we've seen this done before yeah. and, and uh, probably better. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not poorly made. There's some energy to uh the, the cinematography, especially in the bike sequences. There's a great sequence early on where the cops are harassing a bunch of bikers and so a couple of the better bikers, they throw bricks through the cop car windows to get the cops to chase them mm. because they know on their bikes they can get oh, away yeah. from the cops. And so there's this like uh kind of lengthy like car like and mm. dirt bike chase scene on the streets of baltimore that's a really cool chase sequence um, but the movie just loses that energy as it goes on yeah
1: all right i let, was let, laughing because as you were talking about uh, the film i was thinking of the phrase that they do on their bikes uh, which is from clifford and uh, so i was just thinking of a character just like going into that um, Anyway, uh all right, so this is the last film for me. Oh, okay. I have two more. Two we did, more. Okay. Didn't quite do this right, but it we, works. we did all right. Yeah. Uh and sure enough, I have uh I have uh bookended my my uh selection here with Invisible Man stories. Right. So I did see Lee Wanells. Wannels, I don't know how you say it. I say Wanell, but I don't know if okay. that's right. Uh The Invisible Man starring uh, Elizabeth Moss. Uh a film I've been looking forward to for a while. Me too. Um and boy i love it i love it so much i'm so good um there are and you know here's an instance where uh so i saw it with jen she also loved it and as we were talking about it like there are some story there are some plot holes that we were trying to kind of work out and because the rest of it was so good like I, you know i this this goes back to the idea of of what i was talking about with uh, my best friend's wedding like something like a plot convenience or something not being explained, that doesn't actually bother me if there's enough other stuff for me to to latch on to. And, uh, and there definitely is here. First off is a really wonderful lead performance. And for those that don't know, the film is about this, this, uh, young woman who is, who's in a relationship with a scientist whose last name is Griffin Which, as far as I can tell, is the only bit, uh, the only Hmm. thing it has in common with the H.G. Wells story. It doesn't even say it's adapted from the H.G. Wells story, and that's to its credit. But, um, though there are a couple, like, little visual, uh, fun. Tips, tips of the hat to uh, to that. Like she's in a hospital, and you see a guy whose face is all bandaged up. Oh, okay. Uh, and so that stuff like that is fun in a movie that isn't very fun. Um, so it seems like an odd choice, but anyway. Uh, so she's in this relationship with this scientist, and the very first scene is sh- they're in bed together. She wakes up, sees that it's like three thirty in, in the morning, and she like takes his hand off of her and slowly gets up. And you see her like pull uh, an already packed bag out from like a secret storage bin in the closet. And you're like, oh, she, it's like, it looked like she was just getting out of bed to go do something. But no, like, oh, she she is leaving him. This is the way I put it in my articles. Like, it becomes clear she's not merely getting up, she's leaving him. And then when you see the number of like video cameras and like security coded, because he's a scientist, but also like she has to manipulate and turn off cameras. You're like, okay, she's not just leaving him. She's escaping, escaping, yeah. uh, because he is very controlling all that. And then shortly thereafter, she discovers that he, she's told that he has killed himself. Uh, and then she starts to feel him around and she's convinced that he is invisible and still in her life and terrorizing her. Everybody else is like, yeah he had such a clear, obvious psychological hold on you that you're just seeing him everywhere, wow. except not literally. And so the whole film turns into, uh, this wonderful and pretty overt metaphor for, uh, a, an obsessive, possessive, destructive relationship. Uh, and while it can't, while, while it could technically be, Uh, It could go the other way, like obviously anybody can be be manipulative, but there is something uniquely female about this story, the idea of people saying, you're overreacting, you're doing all that, and then she starts to uh, then like, Oh, her sister who's been so supportive of her says like, Hey, I got your email in which you talk about how I'm suffocating you and all that. And so like all these things are happening that are turning there that are that's turning her support system away from her. And, but you're not, but then the film suggests that maybe she's the one that did it and she can't remember it. Like, and they do such a good job mm. of establishing that like she is in a mindset where even you, the viewer, are not 100% sure if you can trust her perception. And it's it's, it's such a tightrope for Elizabeth Moss to walk because she can't be too obviously crazy, nor can she be too obviously sane. And so what I like is that she doesn't play the character as weak. She plays her as wounded. And she ne- and she's not in a, she's she's not getting the opportunity to heal, so she's operating from that place of not being able to trust anything or anyone, including herself. Uh, it's it's a beautifully conceived film, and of, of course, the sound design has to be spot on because when you can't see, you have to listen, and. And when you're trying to be very quiet so that someone can't detect you, every little twig that snaps or whatever uh, is deafening in the film. And uh, I I just, I love it so much. And I feel like it's, it's a film that could genuinely, Jen and I afterwards, we were talking about the nature of our relationship and the nature of friends relationships uh, and the idea of like feeling like controlled by somebody and then, and like, devaluing or or uh uh inv- invalidating uh uh the other person in their opinion and their feelings and i just i cannot recommend it highly enough i i love it and i think everybody should see it oh wow i can't wait to
0: see it um all right i'll probably burn through these last two because okay. i don't want to talk too much about burden it uh comes out this week oh, yeah. i posted my review i hated it um yeah it's a movie. The first thing you see on screen are the words based on a true story. And it's that kind of movie. Yeah. It's just so self-serious, so smug and arrogant and full of itself. And also I think completely not reading the room of the culture right now. It's based on a true the movie story. is a
1: couple years old at this point too. Yeah. It, it premiered at Sundance in 2018. So literally yeah. like two years ago. Um, because my, and, in that film marketing class I took, my instructor, my teacher was talking about the film And saying that like she's like she goes, I don't know when it's going to be released because people are just going to have like people will have a problem with the content of it for the foreseeable future. It's not the
0: content, it's the execution. Because it's based
1: on a true story
0: about a clan member who left the clan and was helped uh, get back on his feet by a black reverend in the in the same town um and there's more to it than than that but it's based on a true story of this guy mike burden is his name mm-hmm. but the problem is the movie it starts off i think does it uh, 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 it's a it's a trick but i think it works in which we meet this guy we know like all right this guy he was he's been to war he was injured he had an abusive childhood but this this older man played by tom wilkinson is like taking him under the under mm-hmm. his wing giving him a job they like he's getting he's getting his life in order and then on his job he meets a young woman played by Andrea Risborough and he's wooing her. And it goes on for maybe like 10 to 12 minutes before it's revealed. Oh, and he's a member of the clan and this guy Tom Wilkinson is the leader of the local clan chapter. It's a,
1: that's a good, that's actually, that can be a good trick.
0: Yeah. And at that point I was like, Oh, that's interesting. I didn't say, I didn't look at what the movie was about going in. So I didn't know. I think that is a good trick. The problem is that after that it continues to treat the character in the same way as if we haven't learned that he's a Klansman. Right. And it's like, it's like, yeah, I don't give a fuck if he gets the girl right now. That's not <laughs> what this movie is about anymore. Yeah. Like it's about something else. And, um, I think the movie would have been better if it had been more like, I feel like it wants to, it doesn't in terms of screen time, doesn't balance the story between Mike Burton played by Garrett Hedlund and, uh, Reverend Kennedy played by Forrest Whitaker. They're not balanced in the ways that it tries to balance them. It almost feels insulting to be like, Hmm. see how they're the same. And it's like, well, they're (laughs) no, Um, uh, but it's really the way to, to, to address your professors, uh, uh, diagnosis is that the reason the movie I think is not going to play as well today is that we don't need, we all saw what happened in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. We don't need a reminder that this kind of racism exists, right. you, you know, and we don't need another picture, another, another portrait of, uh, uh, well, if only the black people in town will show him enough compassion, right. like it's on them. Yeah. Well, But th- that said, the way to do it would be to make a movie about Reverend Kennedy because yeah. his the movie doesn't give nearly enough screen time to this, but luckily you've got Forrest Whitaker, who's a great actor, of doing it. You've got this man who feels that he has, because of his calling, because of his faith, he feels that he has a Christian duty to help this man in need, mm. this man who's suffering, but is dealing with the fact that personally he is completely repulsed by this man. No. And his family... To, and his, uh, I don't know. Flock. What do you say? You don't say parish. I'm not sure what you say. His congregation to varying degrees, understand where he's coming from mm-hmm. and don't, you know,
1: uh, that stuff's really fascinating to me, but it's mostly crammed into just a couple of scenes. It does feel like, you know, from a structural standpoint and admittedly, this might make it feel like more of a trick, but the idea of like spending a good amount of time with Garrett Hedlund's character, getting to know him as a person who has dealt with grief and all this sort of thing and war and then revealing that he's a clan member, it seems to me it's like at that point you stop, and then you just completely shift over to the reverend. That's
0: exactly. Man, and then you I see know, this other we're, we're doing the thing that Roger always said not to do, which is review the movie you saw, not the movie you wish you saw, but yeah. like, well, I, if what
1: I saw was a bad movie. What I wish I saw was a good one.
0: <laughs> yeah. But I, that's exactly the kind of thing that I, sometimes in bad movies, I sit there going like, here's how you could fix this. Yeah. And I'm, not, I'm not even that, I don't think of myself as like a screenwriter type at all, yeah. but, uh, yeah, that's exactly what you should do is then shift and then yeah. have, you've uh, humanized ha- the character. Good for you. Have him come back into the story through the reverend. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, it's, uh, it's too bad. When I, it comes out on Blu-ray, maybe I'll do a little... Uh, I'll do a recut and <laughs> see see how it works.
0: And then the last movie I saw is... This happens a couple times. Uh, 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 it happens every once in a while. Because I don't like... I, I say that I don't like the um, very agenda-driven documentary. Mm-hmm. But sometimes one is good and it's an agenda I agree with. Sure. Like last week or last year we had Hail Satan. And this
1: week we had a, the movie that... I, I appreciate you being um, as true to the, uh, yeah. punctuation.
0: Uh, this is me. I don't even think of this as a movie. It's a call to action. It's a commercial, mm-hmm. uh, but it's for a cause that I tend to believe in. It's a documentary called "Slay, Slay the dragon. And it's about gerrymandering. Right. Um, right. and, and, uh, grassroots or, uh, I don't know, that's maybe the movie might be putting a little bit of a shine on how, sure. uh, they're like, I don't know. It does seem well, suspiciously like well organized and funded for a true (laughs) grassroots movement. But in any case, I believe in where they're coming from. It, 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 follows, it tells the, what gerrymandering is, um, and the history of how it's been used. And up until the most recent, which is, uh, the, after, after 2008, there was a project or, a push or commission or whatever an organization called red map that was basically like we're going to focus on turning a lot of purple districts red mm-hmm. in 2010 because that's when that's the census year so that's when we can reach out the mm-hmm. lines and so uh, that's why you've seen uh, uh there's a lot of states I know in North Carolina and Texas that have been legal challenges to the, to the gerrymandering, but mm-hmm. you have also seen uh, seen, um, uh, Ohio, Wisconsin, the movie focuses a lot on Michigan is where the initial grass or initial, uh, advocacy group, uh, comes out of, they're called voters, not politicians. Um, uh, and, uh, the movie, I mean, I think to its credit, a couple of things, it, it doesn't, it's not lying to you. It's saying, yes, we're acting now because of what the GOP has done over the last 10 years. Um, but also not demonizing them in some ways, like it interviews the head of red map. He's at one of the main talking heads. Mm-hmm. His name's Chris Jankowski or whatever. And the movie almost seems like impre- Like the point of the movie is that gerrymandering itself, the fact that the state lines are drawn by the, 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 the district lines are drawn by the, the, legislation that's in power that's the problem yeah this guy taking advantage of that like we're almost not even mad at him like yeah he's just like I mean, it's, it's impressive what he did he, I, he, he like really did But and one of the lawyers actually the voters not politicians hires is she's either australian or new zealand or from new zealand i'm sorry that i don't can't tell the difference between the accent um but uh she like says something that i've always felt but because i remember watching the brazilian documentary from last year edge of democracy where they were talking about mm. how um the uh in a political sort of trial the prosecutor and the judge are the same person and i was like that's an obviously flawed system yeah but then uh, gerrymandering is always the thing that i think of that we like have for centuries now taken for granted but it's the thing that from an outsider point of view is like that's so clearly manipulatable,
1: you know? Yeah, when I, whenever I first heard the concept of like essentially redistricting, right? It, but it's,
0: I mean, redistricting happens every 10 years for a reason. Yeah. The demographics change. You should redistrict, but it's the idea that the party in power draws the lines. That's, right. so easy to take advantage of.
1: It that, seems like it should be an objective, uh, th- uh, not, not third party. Literally, uh, you know, like the Green Party or well, Libertarians. The, I mean, like it feels like it should be a, a committee that is like that's yeah the that's the voters not politicians thing. That has a,
0: a, a thirteen person committee, uh, four Democrats, four Republicans, and five sort of independents or at large sort mm-hmm. of whatever picks. I don't know what you would call it. Yeah. Um, uh, at large picks is like a I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a
1: Twitter uh, handle for like a framing yeah, yeah,
0: company. No, it, it has to do with like sports. Oh, okay. I know you don't know that. Uh, I don't. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, so yeah, uh, the movie is not disingenuous, I think, for the <laughs> most part, uh, about like, yes, we're opposed to what the GOP has done, but A, our solution is not going the other way. Our solution right. is nonpartisan and also it uh shows that a in states like maryland that are still democratic controlled they do it and b it actually one of the most fascinating things it has this clip of ronald reagan from the 80s saying decrying gerrymandering because in Mm. the 70s and 80s california was a heavily gerrymandered state by the democrats yeah um and probably still is um if uh, makes me wonder like do they even need to? I think they do. I don't. I don't know. I. I don't know. It's, spending some time with my sister-in-law's boyfriend and his family, I kind of mm-hmm. realize, like, yeah, outside of the city, like most of California is still just like rural. It's
1: it's like a red state out there. Well, I mean, like, I mean, like Orange County, and then where I'm from, which is like uh, Kern County current county yes Certainly. Orange County,
0: increasingly not because of uh, demographic changes it's yeah. becoming increasingly latino but um uh no i think that when we think of almost every state that we think of as being like oh that's a blue state or, that's a red state sure it's rarely it's really that much over half yeah anyway gerrymandering is just so clearly wrong yeah. um to me that i think slay the dragon is a good work of ad- advocacy. I don't really want to call it. It's not cinema, <laughs> you know, to go back yeah. to uh, uh, an episode we, we did recently. Um, yeah. that's part of a series that Is we're about to continue though. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's entertainment either, Yeah, but, um, I do think it's, 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 it's worth seeing, uh, just from it being an issue that I believe in. Okay.